Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the Condomans Answers Show live every week. Happy fucking New Year, everybody. I hope you guys had a great and fantastic New Year's Eve. Welcome to 2022 with your host, Colin Weirs, the Condomans Answers Show. It's episode 84 with Julian Dory. He's the host of the Trendifier podcast or Trendifier with Julian Dory. He has the greatest podcast setup I've ever seen inside his house. He's got a bunch of of pictures of um, some people like JFK. He's got Elon Musk. He's got Steve Jobs on that wall. He's a really fascinating dude. We talk about every conspiracy you can think of, uh, including JFK, especially Epstein, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Uh, We talk about Hitler going to Argentina. We talk about the metaverse. Uh, We talk about radical libertarianism and Marxism and Bakun and the great schism. We talk about everything ranging from, from conspiracy theories to the political climate to podcasting and how it's changed our minds. So without further ado, enjoy episode 84 with Julian Dory, the host of the Trend of Fire podcast. This is Colin Man's Answers. Okay, yeah, let's, we're, we're live now, but yeah, so Adam Cole, we're talking about my last episode. Great dude. The way I met him was down here, so I'm from Vegas, right? Um, before we introduce- I'm Adam right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before I introduce my guest- uh, we so down here i i know this like underground i don't even know if you call it underground he's like a the step underneath M, um ufc it's called tough enough uh his name's nate uh holbrook but nathan holbrook but his his thing is nate the great and he knows like wiz khalif and everything on and i had him on one of my really early episodes back when i was just like literally it was like talking on the phone like it was like nothing and um he told me to dm that guy and when he gave me his information, he's like, yeah, he's a photographer. He's a really cool dude. I met him in Laguna Beach. Did not think that that's the Instagram page I was going to. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you said that, like, he has the greatest job in America. One, yeah, I want, I want to get my hands on that one. That was pretty good. It was unexpected, too. Like, I'm listening to him talk. That was not what I expected to see. And I'm like, God damn, bro. Yeah, no, he – and – like that's like his like hobby too. Like I'm putting it like in air quotes hobby. He, what he really does is he's a financial like officer kind of thing. And he like, he like issues loans and he like basically is a financial manager. And then he just for extra money, he just takes pictures of half naked ladies. Yeah. And he puts them all in debt and then he's got, he gets to take pictures. Of exactly. Them. Exactly. That's what it is. But yeah, bro, just introduce yourself for everyone who doesn't know you um, and everything like that. Yeah, my name is Julian Dory. I am a podcaster. I host Trend of Fire with Julian Dory. Been doing that since September 2020, and here we are. Yeah, dude. Just to start, man. I I think I tried to listen to one of your early episodes just to get the gist, but that was back when you were doing primarily solo episodes. I think right um, at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you start your show? I mean. I'll get into how I started mine, but how did you start it? Why did you start it? And then how has it grown to where it is now? Because it's it's a pretty it's a pretty not it's like a like Joe Rogan size, but it's a pretty decent sized show, dude. Thank you. I, I mean, we're we're getting there. I think I think we got a long way to go, but yeah, man, it's an interesting journey that that got me there. I, I it's hard to explain. Like I kind of understand how it went down in my head, but. <sighs> a lot of it was spontaneous while also like making a shift in my life. So I guess I should start with like what I was doing beforehand and everything and then how I got there. So I was a banker at Merrill Lynch. I worked in the private bank 
basically dealt with ultra high net worth people, our team did. And then also, you know, some corporate plans, be it something as simple as a 401k or a little more complex, like a 10B5-1, stuff like that for some of the C-suite guys at different companies. But I feel like I was pretty good at my job. I mean, I worked hard at it, so hopefully I was pretty good, but I I didn't love it. I like the people I work with. I, I just didn't. I mean, I worked in a bank. You can kind of, I mean, you saw me through a podcast for the first time. Picture me wearing a fucking suit every day. I mean, that just was not for me. So I got to a point where I was at a, a real crossroads because in my business, the way it works is you kind of come out of college and work like a dog for four or five years. You don't make any money. And then if you do a great job and you're one of the ones who gets that next point, you get the offer and then you go to make money. And so my boss, who to this day, I'm extremely, extremely close with, he made me the offer in the end of summer 2019. I was like, holy shit, I cannot do this. This is not like, I'm going to shoot myself in the head if, if I'm doing this five years from now. This is not what I want to do. And so he was obviously devastated by that, but very supportive. And I was spending the next six months trying to figure out like, where to go from here and go towards things I was more passionate about. And he was like, stay here, you know, work while you're doing that and figure it out. And so when it was all kind of coming together, finally, after getting kicked in the ass a little bit out there on the job trail, the pandemic hit. And shortly before the pandemic had hit, I had always had some side LLCs and stuff and, and done things like media work and things like that, but I never really put two and two together. And I had done a project at the end of January in 2020. And it was like some live interviews and stuff. And when we were finished, a bunch of people were coming up to me and they're like, bro, do you have a podcast? I'm like, no. And they're like, you need a podcast. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with a podcast? Like people had said this before, but I'm like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. And so on the drive home, I was, I guess I was like, it's so much of a crossroads still trying to figure it out that I'm like, oh, fuck it. If I'm going to do it, I'll do it right. So I'll start researching some equipment on the side just to see what it is. No plan. And I kind of had it as like a side hobby on the weekends, just like learning about what goes into a studio and stuff like that for the next month and a half. And I hit the button on most of my orders for the base equipment, probably a week before the pandemic hit. And mind you, I was still working at a bank. So the whole world is fucking ending that week before, like the stock market's going and everything. So I, I kind of forgot about it. And then the first day of quarantine, all the equipment arrived. And I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? And then I was like, well, shit, if I'm ever going to do this, now's the time. It's the whole job trail obviously like dried up that day. And so I spent the next six months just voraciously building and researching and getting used to things and practicing. And then I launched in September, 2020. And my plan was to get to long form guest content in person as quickly as possible. I figured I was going to have to do like 30 solo episodes before anyone would want to come in, but I dropped 10 episodes right when I started the podcast, I dropped 10 right away. And two of them were guests. I did get people to come in and then a bunch of people were hitting me up and I was like, Oh shit. So I just finished recording the next four. And then once I dropped those, I dropped one more solo and then went all guest pretty much all the way through, except for one week in there where I had COVID a couple months ago, I had to do a solo episode again, but yeah, that's kind of how it went down. 
I actually just listened to that episode, um, the your solo episode, just because. I mean, if you listen to my last episode, you see how how I get into the the Gislaine Maxwell and Kyle Rittenhouse stuff and how the media pushes that. But yeah, dude, it sounds like you did it the right way, right? It sounds like you organized it. And honestly, it sounds like you're a very articulate guy and you like to think for yourself, which is what I I don't think a lot of people do these days. Um, So I think, you know, all power to your show because I think it is exactly what it, like what people need right now is that long form discussion in person. Um, Quick question. You call it the bunker. Is it at a house? You have a studio. Why do you call it the bunker? Things like that. You know, it's in a house. We had had a, a room in Jersey city. So my former business partners, really, really close friends of mine who were on some of those LLCs with me, they lived in Jersey city for a couple of years. So that was kind of like my second home. And there was a middle room in there where it was just like, kind of like a thinking den and like we worked and shit just kind of happened and people would come in and out. And so I would call it the bunker and they hated that. And I couldn't figure out why I'm like, well, I think that's a fucking great name. (laughs) So it was like, kind of like it wasn't used. And then when I just built a studio, I was like, Oh, fuck it. We'll call it the bunker because everything's, you know, it's a very enclosed space. I soundproof it. It's no windows. We're just, it's a studio. So I'm like, when people come in here, time doesn't really exist and you're kind of insulated from the world and it just kind of makes sense. That's where, that's where it came from. Yeah, dude. That's like my end goal is to do, uh, I, I, I have done a couple in-person podcasts, but it's just like having to, you know, I should preface this by saying COVID and the pandemic kind of fucked my college years up like entirely. Um, yeah, you're a senior right now, right? Yeah, I'm a senior, but I went in and this p- pandemic still going on and I was a middle of my sophomore year when the pandemic hit so like basically the last two years and i'm a college football player so let me backtrack real quick by saying like sophomore year of college uh before the pandemic this is 2019 i tear my labrum in my hip and um and like most people say like you can play through that but i'm a punter and so you can't punt through having a torn labrum in your hip so that was a shot, right? That that like play through torn labor. They think football players can play through that. Do they have any idea how painful that injury is? Yeah, it's 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 especially in the hip. It's it's wild. You're bone on bone. Yeah, it's basically and and now it's like I haven't got surgery, and so it's like basically creating arthritis right now in my head. Yeah, yeah, you gotta get that taken care of, man. Um, but yeah, so I that like fucking shot me down, and I was down in the dumps, and I was like, fuck, dude, and and then. And then, like, so football season ends, and we go home for winter, and, and me and my girlfriend do long distance. So I wasn't in the greatest headspace anyways. And then the pandemic hit. And so it's it's February, February or something like that of 2020, and they kick us out of the dorms. So we live in, like, this apartment. They're like, you can't fucking stay here. You got to go somewhere. Like, you can't be here. The world is ending, like you said. And I was like, all right, well – so me and my brother who live there, we, we, we get in our car, we drive, it's 17 hour drive from Portland to uh, Vegas. This is where my family is. And so we drive home and we stay there during the whole quarantine thing. I'm just training, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get back to football. We're going to have a season. The shit's going to be over with. They delay our season to spring. Say, all right, all right, whatever. Fine. It's a 10 game season. Um, they delay it. I'll just grind, keep grinding during through the fall, and then we'll have a spring. 
basically they make it because I'm in Oregon, they make it. So the only teams we can play are in Oregon. We can't go out of state. So that like basically takes away all of our games except for four. And then two teams drop out. They just like, no, we're not even playing. Cause they're like in one of them is in the heart of Portland. And one of them is in Salem, which is like the capital. And they're like, fuck it. They're not good teams anyway. They're like, we're going to, we're going to not play. And so we had a, we, we basically had a two game season my junior year, my entire junior year was a two game season. And so, damn. So that whole time I was like, I was fucking like, I was like really trying to get back to football. I was like, when I was training in the summer, I was like, okay, I also like to make music. So I ordered a mic, right? I ordered not this exact mic, but I ordered a mic and I was sitting down and I was starting to make music and everything and while training and and my mic was being super, it was like, it wasn't the greatest mic in the world. So it was being super, like, it was like being really loud and I couldn't like make the music. And, and so I was like, and, and I didn't soundproof the area or anything. So it was like, it was super loud. Yeah, so music's just, tough. Yeah. So I sat down and I just started talking one day and I posted it and I called it, what the fuck we're calling. And, and then, and then. I started, I did that for like three and I didn't have any video or anything. And then I started calling people on the phone, just literally talked to someone on the phone like this. And then I started going through this app called Podbean, which is basically a phone call. Literally yep. you sit there and you talk on the phone basically. And then finally someone was like, why don't you use Zoom? Like we're doing Zoom classes that you have this free like, like program to use. And like, I was like, fuck it. So I asked one of my friends who's like a, um, thankfully, like being from Vegas, I know some really cool people and these really cool people have let me meet really cool people. And then as the show's grown, I just kind of people have come right. out. Like, have you seen, but I didn't have any organizational structure, you know, like you did. I just kind of was getting my whole world flipped upside down because the pandemic and I just tried something new and then thankfully it worked out, but it, it, it took a while and, and, it kind of accidentally happened. I like, I mean, you kind of had the same thing happen to you. You didn't think you were going to be a podcaster and it seems as though that's a trend. Like it just kind of gets thrown onto you, you know? Yeah. I, and first of all, the, the thing that blows my mind and I think about this a lot is anyone who's in any level of school, whether it be elementary school all the way up to college during this whole pandemic, I can't imagine that. You know, especially like in college, those are the best years of your life. Like they're a lot of fun and you just get that ripped from you. And so I, I feel horrible for you guys that that happened. But yeah, the, the people, my, my buddy Chaz Servino, who I had on the podcast, longtime business associate, very close friend, very successful guy. He and I would always talk about, and some other people too, but he and I would always talk about when shit gets bad, we're going to run right into the fire. We're not going to run away from it. And it was kind of like gamified. We were waiting for like the economic downturn or whatever, which is not necessarily now what's happened here, but we can agree like this whole thing was a societal downturn, which isn't in and of itself the same effect. And there wasn't really like ever like a plan, like exactly what it was going to be or how we were going to do it and stuff. And we were probably going to do it in different ways. Like he was going to do his thing. I was going to do mine, but you know, when this hit, I remember thinking when I was looking at the equipment that day, I'm like, the people who just hunker down right now and fucking get started and keep going are going to win. Even if they don't win right away, they're going to win long term. 
And a big difference between you and me, and this is what I'm very impressed with with you, is that you're you're in college, right? You're on the football team and everything too. Like you have shit to do. You have life going on. Even though college is like kind of stopped and that sucks, you know, you're still, you got a lot of other things to do. For me, it was like, all right, I'm giving myself runway here. I'm a few years out of college and I got to make it right? Like, this is it. Like, th- this is my life. This is going to be my product. I need, I'm dumb enough to start a podcast to try to monetize it. Like one of the dumbest things you could do as far as that's concerned. Like it's not something you should go in with that expectation. Cause there's fucking a million of them out there, but I'm like, okay, I need to do this 1000% right. And so it's different because I had to have that pressure on myself. I think it would, it would have been really cool if I had started to think this way in college, which I should have, I'm a fucking idiot and just started building like you did and kind of get better as you go along and prove the quality as you go along. And there's not that pressure on it. It's like, all right, cool. Like, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's build our resume here. Let's keep rolling. Let's get, let's, let's get good at this craft. So you're way ahead of the game. And that's, that's great to see. The thing that I think is the coolest thing about the, the podcast and just doing it in general, like, anybody doing it is um it's not like for me like like you, you said the pressure too it's not like the end all be all for me it's just kind of something i like to do now and something that i kind of feel like i'm obligated to do and i feel like people who are listening deserve me to give my best and everything like that but also um the people i've been able to meet and the connections i've been able to make are it's it's like it's changed my life for the better like i have friends now who who like I'd like right in the heart of the pandemic, I talked to a virologist and now he's my friend. And that was like probably my most popular episode. I had more people than I would ever have expected to listen to it. When was that? I think the first time I talked to him, I talked to him twice, but I think the first time was March. It was right when the vaccines were being rolled out. So I think it was March of 2021. I think it was this year. Send me that one when we're done. I want to listen to that one. Um, and I will, and it was right at the heart and right in the beginning of like when the vaccines were rolling out and he said something about, um, the dangers of the vaccines. Cause I asked him, I was like, what are the dangers to getting this? Because this is like right at the beginning. I hadn't been vaccinated yet. Uh, or I technically wasn't forced to get vaccinated yet. Cause my college forced me to get vaccinated. Um, so I wasn't, I didn't, I, I got it, but I hadn't yet. And he was basically talking about how anaphylactic shock and how he thinks MRNA vaccines are like a really cool technology and how they're really effective. And if this wasn't so politicized, then everyone would be like, holy shit, like science, you know? And because it's become so politicized, it's more about what you think versus what is actually like benefiting society. Um, And so I was still kind of skeptical, but, you know, every time I would read something that I feel like was more right wing um, that was like super slanderish to like um, vaccines or anything like that. I would send it to him and he would either debunk it or, or give me the truth, but like say what it actually is and things like that. So just to be able to do that. And I'm sure you found this with some of your guests, the connections you made and the things you're able to do once you've met these people, it oh, fuck yeah. you out so much. And not only that, it improves your way of thinking dramatically. It's like a cheat code. I mean, the fact that 
because like I'm, I'm a huge reader. I, I love to read books. I was doing at least one a week for a long time there. That is one thing I do not have a lot of time to do these days. I mean, I don't, there's not enough hours in the day for me. I do everything for this podcast because, you know, you know how it is. Like you're building, that's what you got to do. And eventually it won't be like that. And I'll, I'll bring some people in to help out with things and I'll have some time to myself again and have a life. But in the meantime, thank fucking God I have the ability to not just on the podcast, but also through like, you know, you have to keep relationships going and talk with people and go back and forth. And then you build that relationship and then people are sending you stuff and back and forth and stuff like that. Like this is a cheat code to getting information and understanding things and understanding different perspectives. And also I'm always looking for new sources on stuff. I get that through all different people because everyone has their own sources. Some are really bad. Some are great. I'll look at all of it. You know what I mean? Like I, I like to get a temperature of stuff. And I think the podcast, especially doing a model, like it seems like you're doing a similar kind of model where you just talk about everything, you know, it could be whatever. I mean, the exposure you get from that is incredible. And I, I, I just like, I wish everyone could do it to truly understand it. You know, they're not gonna, but it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's people don't, like people don't want to take the time to um sit down with someone and 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 edit all their things together but you know if you could actually just sit down with one person for three hours that like you learn so much Mm -hmm. um nobody does that you know um nobody sits down for an hour two hours three hours with anybody like maybe you will periodically throughout the day with your friends but like how much is that is just shooting the shit or how much is that actually talking about substantive problems or or answers to questions you know i think one of the things that so i i don't know if i told you this but i study politics and government and philosophy at my school <clears throat> double major because i i want to go to law school that's like kind of what i want to do um, how much weed you smoking every day how much weed am i smoking every day <laughs> i honestly I've cut, I've cut it down tremendously i i i'm not proud of this but i used to a lot when I was younger, like growing up. And then when I got to college, I actually slowed down because I, I was really dedicated to like fitness for football. You know, like getting like good. Strong. Yeah. It's uh, a good balance with everything. Yeah. And now don't want to drink too much. Don't want to smoke too much. No, yeah. Should and always now, be that way. And now everywhere I've, I live, it's legal. So I, I periodically, like my girlfriend smokes, my best friend smoke, but I like only periodically. And I, I only periodically drink too. Like, um, like t- I'll drink tonight because who's not going to drink tonight, but, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, not that much, but I want to go to law school and I want to be a what lawyer. Kind of law you want to do? So I actually interned at a medical malpractice law firm this summer, uh, for my, like, like I said, it's the connections. My best friend's brother-in-law works at a medical malpractice law firm as an associate lawyer. And I interned for him and I, uh, he said, I'm not going to just toot my own horn, but he said, I knocked the ball out of the park, you know, and I did really well. And I, I got a really liking to it. And by the end, I was actually like literally drafting um, complaints, like what you file. And, and I got, I got akin to really liking it and like the way your mind thinks about it and yeah. having these long form like discussions with my, uh, with uh, his name's Mike. Um, about these like hard questions regarding like people's lives and people's injuries and things like that. And so I got I I don't know if you had a chance to hear one of the recent ones that did with with Mike Spear, but I've had him on I've had him on the podcast a couple of times and he's he's one of my very good friends. But I'll have to introduce you to him. He's like one of the biggest 
one of the biggest guys. He does some of that, but he does like a lot of personal injury stuff too in Philly. He's yeah. fucking hysterical. Yeah, dude, personal it's injury. Out of his mind. That's, yeah, I'm definitely going to listen to that now. And, and uh, he, that sounds like exactly what um, Mike does. Like they, they focus on medical malpractice, but they also do plaintiff's attorneys, which is personal injury, mm-hmm. car accidents, things like that. Right. Um, Slip is he and a, falls. It's slip and falls, dude. Oh whole nine. <laughs> so, so you know, but people don't realize how many slip and fall cases there actually are. Oh man, there's a lot. People are slipping and falling everywhere, dude. And especially in um in Las Vegas, like they to the casino. Oh, the in time. Vegas, I would have never guessed that. Yeah, dude. There's everything in Vegas, like obviously. <laughs> but w- where are you from exactly? I'm from New Jersey. I lived Jersey. here my whole life. I New went Jersey. to college in Pennsylvania for like four years. But other than that, I've been all up and down the state of New Jersey. Okay, New Jersey. Yeah, so like you're pretty near uh, New York. Then I've literally never been to the uh, East Coast. So I've never been to the West Coast, man. So there you go. Well, we're going to have to flip-flop. Yeah, I, I've, been, I've been close to New York and I've been close to Philly throughout my life. I lived the last five years up right by New York. And right now I'm back down near philly so like an hour 40 outside of new york but yeah like it's all kind of i mean jersey's jersey yeah so yeah i was gonna say like i could assume that i mean you're from new jersey not new york but i could assume that in new york it's the exact same thing like you you have all these plaintiffs attorneys oh yeah oh yeah racking up cash like and everyone's like why don't you want to do criminal laws like well one Unless you're like the guy, there's no money in being a defense attorney whatsoever. You're going to be a public defender or you're going to be, or you're that guy and you make a lot of money. But the guys who do it are the guys who become federal prosecutors and then on, and then move over to criminal defense. And those guys, I mean, they make a killing because they, they take big, big time cases. Yeah, 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 yeah. And especially, yeah. Or you're going to, that's what I was going to say, or you're going to be a federal prosecutor and, and here's the thing about criminal like civil you can rationalize so a big thing that i talk about is like a lot of philosophical concepts but you can rationalize um in civil cases arguing for the not greatest of people against maybe a good person but it's hard to argue a case for someone who's completely guilty over someone who's clearly innocent and i don't know if it would take a moral like toll on me just as a person um you know, I'm, I would consider myself a pretty religious person. And so like, just for that sake, like, I'm sure that's not the case a lot, but I'm sure that just having, cause it's what your firm takes, right? You get assigned to the case your firm takes. Yeah. Depending on if you own it or, yeah. but yes, yes. Absolutely. And so like, especially just starting out, I, I would assume it would take an insane moral toll on you just to defend or to prosecute innocent or guilty people right i think about this all the time man this is really interesting that that you're so into this topic but also you know you're looking in that field to go there so it's important that you're thinking about this but on the one hand for the sake of government and the people and the relationship the balance relationship there that we should have it is the legal system is phenomenal in that it assures the right to a fair trial for everyone. It's very, very important. Like when you just think about it, the way that lawyers would, like how they're taught in law school, like pragmatically in that way, yes, it's critical. 
that said, we're all human. You know, someone had to defend Charles Manson. How do you, how do you live with that? Now, I think, I think when you're defending a case like that, you defend it to the best of your abilities, but you kind of know when someone has no case and like, yeah. you know, they're going to lose. And so maybe, maybe in that situation, you don't feel as bad, but then does that mean you're not trying as hard as you could and you're technically supposed to try it? I don't know. But there, there's a guy that I've known for throughout my life, just cause he's friends with my dad and his wife is friends with my mom. But I, I would like to get him on the podcast at some point. I haven't asked him yet, but it's this guy, Brian McMonagle, who, I mean, he's always one of the top five defense attorneys in the country. I think he's been number one, one or two times too. But he is such an interesting case to me because he did that whole route. He was a federal prosecutor who then went to defense. And morally, he's one of the greatest people you'll ever meet in your life. Like when, as far as someone, if you believe in heaven and, and everything in the afterlife and whatever, you know, he's a, he's a first overall draft pick. Like he's just a great, great human. And yet until he represented Meek Mill with this whole thing, you know, with that bullshit, with that judge in Philly, I can't think of a case that he's done where he's represented an innocent person. I mean, to put it in perspective, and this was probably one of the cooler things he did. He got Bill Cosby off. The first time he got the mistrial, which was like the way he did that was fucking hysterical. Like the guy's just a genius attorney, but he got him off and then quit. And he's not going to tell me like, oh, I think Bill was guilty. He's an attorney. Like he's not going to say that. But I remember when I was talking about him with him a couple of years ago, you know, he's just like, well, you know, didn't get along with the team or whatever. So I, 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 let, I let it go. But in the back of my head, I was kind of thinking like, okay, he got a mistrial. So he did his job and did that mean that that was one he just went home and he's like, fuck it. I cannot like, th this is just, this is too crazy. Like this is a big name. And this guy I already did the job once. He's a fucking psycho raped all these women. I'm just not, I'm not about it. I kind of wonder if, if he does think like that, you know, but it's, it's, it is a hard thing to concept when you're not doing it and I'm not doing it. So it's really, really hard for me to concept, but it's heavy. It's very, very heavy. Bill Cosby's a weird one too because he was he was such a massive star for yeah. decades, you know, and and then it basically came out that he was this horrific monster, especially to women. Um and when something like that happens, I always think that you know like not just like how how I was talking about my world flipped upside down with the pandemic and a lot of people did. That happened with the whole world too with something like Bill Cosby because it's like an icon and a superstar almost the same as when the whole OJ, OJ trial happened. You know, it, it'd be almost the exact same thing. It's like, okay, what do you do in a society when one of the, one of the icons, especially for the minority population is clearly guilty of horrific things. And it just kind of, I feel like it flips pop culture and just, and just the, the world upside down and and i think a lot of the times you know even the jeffrey epstein case and the Ghislaine maxwell yeah we case, should talk about that yeah i think a it's lot sad of that you look at it though i'm sorry to cut you off but like yeah. it, it's sad that and i understand what you mean it's sad that so many people have to think to look at it that way yeah you know where we are trained in the idea of like looking at the makeup 
of who someone is. If you want to look at the makeup of minority defendants and stuff where they have the book stacked against them and it's bullshit, absolutely. Like, that's how I look at it. But when we're just looking at, like, famous people who also, in some cases where there's a case, happen to be a minority, and it's like, oh, well, does that mean that they could be less innocent or, or like, more guilty? Whatever, you know, your cup of tea of how you think of the world is, like, that is – it's stupid to me. Like if people do bad things and they're famous, especially stuff like that, you know, it gets brought out in a court of law and most of the time they get it right. OJ, they got it probably wrong, you know, but it's like the fact that we have to think of it that way is very dumb. If Bill Cosby raped a bunch of women, I don't care what his background is. Throw him in jail. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, this is not a difficult thing. And yet, we have sometimes like we, we look at this and we even have to put the lens of color on very simple things. Yeah. You know, I, I like to put it once again on the things where there are injustices, where there are things that it's like, okay, this is very clear. You look at the data, we got a problem to say nothing of the individual cases themselves. That that's different. But like when you're just doing it to, to do it as like a qualifier, it's a, it's a shame that our world is getting to the point where we're thinking that way on everything. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, it does. Um, it's I want to frame this in the right in the right words. It's it's wrong, completely wrong. Because I'll preface this by saying I go to a very liberal school in Oregon, and so a lot of the times when I'm in a in these classes in a disagreement with someone, someone will bring up the fact that I'm a cisgender white man who is straight. And so my opinion is from the opinion of an oppressor. And so I should have no bearing on specific arguments. And that's just fucking bullshit. Okay. I'm just going to say that right here. It's just fucking bullshit. I, and I, when the one that I hate the most is they try to justify, I'm not from a, seven figure six figure you know maybe combined six figure family you know i'm from a middle class middle middle class family not in like the heart of any like major city like i'm i'm going into debt right now i'm gonna go into more debt in law school like i I work my ass off for my gpa i have a three seven i work my ass off to be a good football player i work my ass off for things and for them to justify saying to me that I don't work hard for anything. And just because I'm white and a male that I'm given things, it's just fucking bullshit. And you hear it's it, stupid. you hear it all the fucking time. And I've had countless people stitch me on TikTok and things like that. Women, usually primarily white women, which is ironic, say that this is the, this is what we don't need. Another white man in media talking about his own opinion. It's just like, when is it going to be enough? All right. Like, because the argument I've had countless times is, all right, let's say that, let's say that there is a just a force that exists from me and from all white people that just oppresses everybody else, right? What do you want me to fucking do? I was born in the year two thousand. Let's just, I was born in the year two thousand. I have no bearing on any statutes. I'm twenty one years old. I, I'm I'm trying to become a lawyer and I can affect the system that way. But what would you want me to do? And the argument that I was given was that I should be going and giving back at like soup kitchens or things like that. And minorities should not. And so I should spend more time not working for myself and more time working for others. And I was like, that is 
absolute nonsense. Just absolutely strictly nonsense. strictly because you're white. Strictly because I'm a white man. Yeah. See, this is this is why this is just a prime example. When you look at the extremes, the extreme right wing and the extreme left wing, I often try to explain to people the evidence that supports the fact that they are they are and always have been very much the same and politics is a circle and they find ways to overlap each other and flip each other at all different segments of certain situations or or certain political stances and stuff like that and racism is now one of them because if you if you look at the far right they're racist as fuck and they're bad people and and they're they're the it's a small percentage of society but they're the kinds of people who are like living in a different time and you know i don't know how life made them that way but it did and that's not my fucking problem and so i i I don't i'm not going to entertain conversations with those people now when you look at the far left though that we've allowed to exist which i make a bold point always of separating from liberalism because traditional liberalism, like the way it's meant to be and the way a lot of liberals I know, they're not like that. They're not like that. Right. And I, I lean a little bit left. So I could tell you, I don't think anything like that or that way. I'm, you're never going to hear me say you're a cisgender white man. Like I'm not doing any of that. But when you look at these people, like you just point out how white women are often the people who are stitching you on that stuff, they're being racist from the other end. Because what they do is they immediately, they don't just disqualify you to gain brownie points as like a white male. They disqualify anyone who is not a cisgender, heterosexual, white male by implying that anyone who's not is automatically at a disadvantage and can't do anything about it. And therefore needs their assistance, their help in this case is like a white woman or whatever. And that's fucked up. The idea that you could look at someone and say, no, no, you're like, you're always going to be a victim or or what it is. That's, that's not life. Like I, I always point out this, this is an easy way to, to even go at like the, where the Democrat and Republican parties are right now. On the one hand, you, you have the Republicans who just want to tell everyone to pick, up, pick themselves up by the bootstraps because sure you can and whatever and no problem. Everyone has the same opportunity, which is bullshit. And then on the other side, you have people saying, no, no, you know what? I feel so bad for how you are. You're always going to, they're not saying it like this, but you're always going to be that way. So we're going we're gonna to do everything for you because you, your kids, your grandkids, they're all going to be fucked forever because you're identity X. That's bullshit too. Right. Which is shows you the sad state of affairs we're at politically right now. But I think that right now, because it's a Democrat in office, like these things happen in waves. It was just Trump before that. So now the pendulum has shifted. And so right now the focus is on, well, who's in power? What do they quote unquote stand for? Okay. Are they standing for so much woke culture? Wow. That's bullshit. We hate that this pandemic's still going on. There's all this fighting over division and stuff like that. Like, now it's popular to kind of be like, oh, we see how crazy that is. If it's Trump again, they'll go back to that again because he's nuts too and he does it in different ways. You know, it's just this constant, it's like this over and over and over again. And I, you know, I hate it 
And I, I hope a lot of people hate it. I think a lot of people hate it, but I hope a lot of people will hate it to the point that they do something about it and maybe stop voting for these two fucking parties. Maybe, maybe stop making it such a binary decision. Maybe actually try to stand up and say like, is this the line in the sand where, you know, we figure out our way forward as a country and we do it in a way that eliminates the control that the extremes have over the conversation. I don't know that we will though, because the platforms incentivize the two extremes to, to put their opinions out there because it's incendiary. Yeah. And this gets into something that I heard you talk about in your solo episode, which is bias. And I think you talked about bias in the media, which is something that I have tried to study a little bit extensively, a little bit extensively is kind of um, counterintuitive, but I've tried to, I've tried to study as much as I can because it seems as though we have a, we have mass media. I mean, the one right wing that everyone knows, and, and if you want to consider Daily Wire with Ben Shapiro, like a, a news outlet, it's kind of different because it's kind of a podcast, right? But a lot of the mainstream media today has this, has this bias to it where you can't even discredit bad things that democratic people do in office. Right. Um, like he would just attack Trump, which is like, he has his, like we said, he has his own problems, but they just sugarcoat Joe Biden and they don't talk about how his cognitive decline. They don't talk about Kamala Harris's approval rating and how it's like 26% right now. They don't talk about how everything the, they don't talk about the, the loan agreements, how, how, how the college loans, how Biden Biden ran on behalf of college students saying that I will forgive loans. And then he Do you just, really think I gotta ask you this? Do you really think Biden ran on anything? No. I think that that was the narrative pushed though, right? Yeah, he's an old guy. Yeah. I don't I don't think he has dementia. There would be a lot of other things that would have to be happening for that, but he's very old. Like would you want your grandfather run in the country no you no, wouldn't you right you don't think like that like i don't think he wanted i'm damn near certain he didn't want to do this i don't know why he got tapped i guess so he could be a, a figurehead of whatever they want to do i i don't know but it's like yeah that just that whole thing bothers me but continue i'm sorry no you're good yeah no you can jump in whenever i was it was weird to me i mean it's not weird because like we can see it unravel like the elites and the politicians in America have been in some corrupt nonsense for a long time, but it was crazy to me how Bernie Sanders was clearly ahead with young yes. people and with the Democrats and they totally just blackballed him. They totally just blacklisted him and kicked him out and didn't even let him run. And they like, he was clearly ahead. Clearly. I want to know what pictures they have of him. Dude, or something, right? I want to know what pictures they have of him. Like, was he in the KKK in a previous life or something? Like, they got blackmail on that dude. Because yeah. he has just, he drinks the Kool-Aid and gets right on behind in line. He was a little more hesitant to do it with Hillary and was quieter about it. But like with Biden, he got right in line and he got, I mean, he got ass rammed in that, in that election. There's no doubt about it. And What's crazy to me about it is there is completely, you know, I've, I've always heard when you do research is that a lot of what Jeffrey Epstein did was he would blackmail people. That's, was, that was a lot of what he did, right? Um, 
And now that he's dead, it's not like that job just goes away. It's not like that job just withers away. You know, there's always dirt. And, you know, the craziest thing that I think nobody talks about is Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, and you hear it all the time. They say if it was D Donald Trump Jr.'s laptop, oh, my God, everybody, all we would talk about is, is Donald Trump's laptop. But it's crazy that we can see and, and now we have the stories of Pelosi and her husband and all these Congress people making money off insider trading. And we're seeing, yeah. and we're seeing the corruption, right? And we're, and we're seeing the answers. Yet we, we just act like because it's not Trump, it's better. Which doesn't I, – I get it. Like you wanted Trump out of office. But it doesn't make sense to justify corruption – justify known corruption through politicians and like it's not to say that ted cruz and mitch mcconnell aren't a part of this because they are but it's mm -hmm. to say that you can't justify corruption because you think it's better than the figurehead who was uh, the figure of the state who was prior like it doesn't make any sense yeah they're just using that as a as a ploy they don't like behind the scenes they don't think that way i think they can brainwash a lot of powerful individuals behind the scenes to think that way but the people who are quote-unquote pulling the strings on that whoever they are and however many of them they are they don't they don't think that way they just they know that that incendiary nature will put people on their team and then the people who it doesn't put on their team it will make them hate them more and it will create more division which is more opportunity i mean I, there, there's a lot on the bone right here you're bringing up, and I, I want to touch all of it. I got all afternoon. So we, which by the way, I, I want to say this. Thank you very much for doing this today. That was that was great. For the record, we were supposed to do this yesterday, and I was a giant hypocrite and had to be like, oh, can we do it today? Because I know how difficult this is doing podcasts and stuff and having people change schedules. So I'm very, very sorry about that. But um, yeah, I'm glad we could actually do it. So I'm glad to. As far as what would go into ha like how many people you could have in on things and like conspiracies and all that and bringing Epstein in, one, one thing's for sure. We know, you just know, that the quote-unquote conspiracy around Epstein, no matter what, is one of the biggest scandalous conspiracies in modern history we know that we don't know a lot of where it stretched to or exactly who was involved because they have covered a lot of it up and maybe now we're never going to know which is bullshit but we also like i try to sit above all this stuff and say okay how do I remain skeptical of all conspiracy theories while also recognizing that there's an element of conspiracy in everything and understanding that some of it is actually, even if it's not good, like it's okay, not, not Epstein. Let's table him talking about different stuff, but other parts of it are also, they're just never going to change. How do I balance all that while not going off the deep end and telling myself that everything is this way and whatever, and everything happened like that, and, and everything's the worst, and everything's the worst possible conspiracy. It's harder now to do that because of the literal like comic book reality we are seeing in real life in the last two years of this pandemic and everything that's happened. But I, I don't know 
what the end goal is here. I, I never figured out what the end goal was for Trump either. I'm still trying to figure that out. If I were just totally guessing though, and removing the fog from the chessboard here and trying to just figure out, okay, we're going from A to B or A to D. How are we getting there? It feels like to me two things. Number one, the division is not only profitable, but it's, it's also, it also helps keep the government in power and doesn't threaten bad shit, which in some ways it's like, well, maybe the motives are maybe not all bad, but the execution and what they're doing is sinister. But maybe it's that they feel like that will keep people fighting each other so that they don't look to where the real source of the problem is, which is at the top. And I think a lot of that could have to do with, with the wealth gap and to say nothing of what we're doing to our currency right now and how this is all a ticking time bomb at some point, it's gotta be right. Like you've seen that wealth gap grow statistically around the world, but even more so in America since the mid eighties, mid to late eighties through today. And it has only gotten worse as time goes on. The rich get richer and everyone else gets a little bit poorer over time. And the balance of the number of people who are rich versus the number, number of people who aren't continues to skew. And so when this all goes down, people want something to complain about. They want to blame it on something. They want to look around and have a boogeyman. And when, when powers that be recognize that, hey, it's a lot of our policies that have caused this on both sides of the aisle, I mean, you can trace this back to Reagan with trickle-down trickle economics. You can take it through Clinton, repealing Glass-Steagall, through Bush, who pretty much fucked up everything that was put in front of him, Obama, who tried to clean it up and had to fuck up things to clean it up, Trump, who, that's a complicated one, but Trump, in my opinion, economically, one thing that he was okay on was he had the right intentions with some things, but the execution, I think, was totally off. And Biden's just kind of continued what Trump was doing in a lot of ways, like not necessarily like tax law or stuff like that. But in other ways, like they've continued some of the trends and in particular, like, like the inflating the dollar, you look at all this that's happened over a 40 year period, whatever it is, 35 year period over that time, the people who were 10 years old when that started are 50 years old now and looking at retirement with no money in their bank account. The people that were born midway through in say 2000, like you are saddled with college debt, looking at a world where everything's been shut down for two years, everything's getting automated and wonder, wondering what the fuck is there for them. The people who were born in the middle of those people in you know the nineties, like me, they're looking around realizing like, oh shit, like I've already started my career. Where do I go from here? How do I not get shut down from my ability to earn in 10, 15 years or five years? You know, what does this whole remote world mean? Why are machines controlling all this thought? Wait, I knew a world where we grew up and we went outside and played and the internet wasn't a big thing. I was young, but like we knew that world, right? And now it really doesn't exist. There's all these different people with different overall like boogeymen that they can point to but the same exact issue which is that they don't understand how they're going to be able to live the american dream and support themselves unless they're one of the few who makes it big mm -hmm. and so the people who have been in charge are entirely responsible for that issue there's no way they don't know that even if they don't admit it behind closed doors they know that 
and it threatens the entire thing that runs the system, which is these t- same two bullshit parties that are just funded by money. And so how do you take away that threat? You make everyone else think that there's other problems and that they hate each other. And so you pick out things that have an element of truth to them. You take things like race, which absolutely we have racial issues in this country. We have always that said, you make it seem like it's 18. You convince people it's like 1840, right? Because then you're, you're going to guarantee that a lot of other people are going to equal, but opposite reaction be like, no, there's no racism. And then those two are going to fight. And they're going to they're gonna have opposite claims on each other and fight over the most primal issue, one of the most primal issues that the human animal can have, which is how each other looks, right? And then eventually, you know, and there's other things there. You create gender wars, you create shit like that, but then you move it to a vaccine, right? And now you have a vaccine where <laughs> you had a right-wing president create operation warp speed which was the dumbest name you could ever had for something like this if you're trying to get trust who then would have had the right wing buy-in but then lost office and the left wing then started pushing it so the right the left wing switched and now become pro-vaccine and the right wing switched and now became anti-vaccine and it's this is the fastest example of division economics and experimentation that i've ever seen it's hilarious if not for the fact that it's very, very sad. You know, this is what they do. And we play right into it over and over again. And that's why, you know, and I've gotten plenty of shit wrong. I mean, I, you do a podcast, I do a podcast. Like I say shit that ages bad within two days every week, right? Like there's, there's just things when you're talking for three hours, there's things you're going to say, you're like, well, why the fuck did I say that? So I've certainly had things wrong and, and read some things wrong along the way. But where I see like one year in to this, vaccine and where people are it's like god damn did they pull it off did they get what they wanted you know because people are now it's something you put in your body you know and it's something that that people can convince themselves is like a necessity or people can convince themselves might kill them and they hate that a government's telling them to do it or they love that a government's telling everyone to do it and it's like, holy shit, man. Like, how do you even solve that chasm? You don't. Something that I do believe about um, the future and putting things in your body and vaccine, regardless of if this is a dangerous vaccine or not, because I don't think it is. I don't think... I don't think it is either. Um, I've talked to enough, and especially my virologist friend, and I've talked to enough scientists now on this podcast, which is crazy, because I didn't think I was going to be talking to a bunch of people with phds but i good to believe that that the people who created it are actually inherently good now we can say i don't know about all of them but i would say that the manufacturing of a vaccine for a global pandemic the people who created it are inherently good okay yes now now to touch on and you're not talking by the way i want to hedge for you too you're not talking about like oh, all pharma companies are great, moral, whatever. You're talking about the people who, the scientists who are making this stuff, some of whom may be bad, but enough of whom are good. Yeah, I was talking about specifically, thank you for that, because I was specifically talking about the people before the vaccine was created, the people who are trying to create the vaccine. Those people. Um, But to touch on what you said, because you did talk about a lot, I think this vaccine created, it, it did create, need 
an understanding of a need for something to go in your body if there's a dangerous if there's danger about and what i think this is going to push or what's going to open the door for is when Neuralink becomes available and when the metaverse has some chip that you can implant into your brain that you can mm-hmm. you don't even need the VR glasses um, uh, I think that what it's going to do is um, it's going to, they're going to say okay the world is becoming utterly shit because of climate change you can't go outside for all this time so instead live in the metaverse all you need to do is get the chip. The chip will save you from everything. And there's going to be a half of the population who's going to be like, fuck yeah. And, and especially those people who are younger than me, because like you said, I'm like right the cusp of playing outside. I didn't get a phone until I was in high school or eighth grade as when I got an iPhone, I think eighth or ninth grade. And so I, I think that, um, I think that anyone who's younger than me, really, maybe a little bit, like maybe like three, four years, people who are like freshmen when I was a senior in high school, people who are freshmen in college right now, um, anything that age and younger, if you tell those guys, especially the kids who are in middle school and high school right now, if you tell those guys, because they live online anyways, if you tell those guys when they're 25 and they got nothing going for them, that the world's ending and that the only way to survive is to enter your consciousness into the metaverse, they're going to fucking do it. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. One sec. I think that we're all thrown around this whole metaverse thing right now, you know, and a lot of people weren't even thinking about it before Facebook changed their name, which I guess was kind of the idea. Facebook wanted to then introduce that into the conversation and be the people that branded it. But while it may be very hard to concept and understand exactly what it's going to look like or how it's going to morph, the concept of moving from the physical to digital world, like just as a broad concept is not. And that's why I like that you bring it up in this part of the conversation, because those youngest people, like think even younger than you, though, I would say some people that were born in 2002, but think especially the people born in 05, 06, 07, they don't know a world without iPhones and screens completely. They don't, they have uploaded their entire growth and reality into these machines and these companies know it. I had a really early podcast back towards the beginning, like when we were first doing guest podcasts with my friend, Alex Horowitz, who is the chief of staff at a company called eight sleep. Who's now also a sponsor of mine, but eight sleep is like they're the biggest sleep tech company in the world. And so he was there early on really, really sharp guy, like incredibly smart and very, very analytical as a thinker. Like he has a firm ability to put things into black and white without, emotion and just call it like it is. And so some of the things he said in that podcast, I think about all the time to this day because they were spot on and a theme that he put way better than I'll remember it right now. His words were better, but he was talking about how these companies can simulate everything. They can hack culture and they can predict culture changes 
before it changes because they can change it themselves. And so when they see or like when, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or TikTok or whatever, when they test out a B test out, whether it be pieces of content or styles and the UI UX and how users then integrate with them. And then, cross-reference that with the data of the demographics of the users doing so they can figure out where people were a year ago versus where they are now or where they were five years ago versus where they are now not just in their personality traits and beliefs and likes and interests and all that but in how they what their relationship with technology is and how it is impacting the way they think and they can then use that data to build out future implementations or current in this case impl implementations to continue to move those people in a direction that they see fit. So we talked about people moving to extremes politically because that's what gets attention. That's a part of it. Right. And then what does the effect of that have on the rest of society, like within these online communities? So think of all the people who don't get pushed to that. What happens? They get pissed off at it. What do they do when they get pissed off? They go look at shit that has nothing to do with that. So what are they looking at when they, when they look at shit that has nothing to do with that? They have to have opinions too, not just politically, but on whatever. Okay, how do we then figure out how they're going to spend more time looking into whatever this shit is versus going out in the real world and having a catch or something like that? How do we keep their attention? You know, like we're in the podcast game and when I make short form content, my job is to keep people's attention. And the way that I appreciate that is, is I at least recognize that it's the shortest form. I do worry though, that it's not because it's not just me doing it. There's millions and millions of people doing this, all that put together, the best people keeping attention are put on the app. And that is just, that's driving people to continue using the app and continuing to integrate in this world more and more and more. And that, that I struggle with, you know, I don't worry about that for the podcast as much because people throw it in their ears and they go about their day, you know, but like, what about the other types of content where I, you know, I, I need to get their attention because that's how I, that's how I make a living here. Right. You know, now think about all the people who are doing it in sinister ways or totally meaningless brain damaging ways, you know, or just pure entertainment and escapism ways. And I'm not saying any one thing's right or wrong, but add that to how the platforms then take advantage of that content being put on there for them to use to their advantage. And then think about where the world can go. Think about where we are now versus where we are even a year ago. Forget before the pandemic. Think about how much they've changed and switched up people's opinions. And then let's go back to politics with it. Like, I wonder what the long game is here for them. Like, I feel like sometimes if it's a moneymaker and a control mechanism, they're like, why have four years of Trump when you could have 12 or why have eight when you could have 12, you know, you, you, you do enough so that people vote them out of office and then you piss them off enough for four years that people vote them back into office. And while those four years are going on in between, he's still a, a source of attention and, and gets to be a, the moneymaker and, and, and the negative slash, depending on where you stand, positive attention guy, you know, that creates all these emotions. Like where does all this tie in? And then how does it tie into moving people into the metaverse? I don't know. It's heavy. It's, it's, it's a lot to think about. That's a very confusing way. I just put that, but 
this, this stuff that they are building and putting out there, you have to hope that a company like Facebook doesn't win. And I think they might not because we've moved to a more, you know, to a world where people are, a lot of people are thinking about decentralization and thinking about, you know, putting some power back in the hands of the people, but either way, who then, if it doesn't go fully decentralized, who then takes that power and who's to say they won't become every bit as bad about the complaints you have about Facebook now. And whether it's Facebook or Apple or any of these companies or anyone working on this, what information do they have right now that they've already gathered and have therefore simulated to know where we are in four years? Like, do they know what the world looks like? They might. They might. Like, that's how crazy we are now with this interconnectivity. You can literally figure it out if you have access to all that information, which I don't. You don't. But somebody does. You brought up the fact that Pete, we are, a lot of people are almost obsessed and dedicated with putting the hands back in the, um, putting the power back in the hands of the people. And fascinatingly enough, the, you might've heard this in my last podcast, the senior project I currently worked on, but I worked on is a 31 or 32 page thesis proposal on the differences between the ideology of the Soviet Union and then classical Marxism, right? And right. What, I, what I learned by doing all that research is people like Lenin and Marx even and traditional, traditional socialists, even Bernie Sanders to some extent, um, to less extent, Bernie Sanders is kind of a knockoff of this guy, Edward Bernstein. If you want to look into him, he's a 20th, 19th century Marxist student who is kind of like, eh, this is kind of a really dangerous ideology. Why don't we just reform everything slowly and make sure no one just violently revolts and kills everyone? Um, so if you want to look into him, Bernie Sanders is yeah, I have to check that out. knockoff of him. Um, but these people, they're obsessed with, with, with class struggle and um, societal downfall and the flipping of society and, and re revolution, putting the hands, putting the power back in the hands of the, of the workers, they say, right? The problem is every single, and I'm not going to say that this is because of Marxism. I'm not going to say that it totally isn't because of Marxism. I think that what happened in the Soviet Union and then eventually spread throughout the world is almost completely different, but it's a really hard discussion to have. But I think that almost every or every time we've seen someone who's very charismatic be obsessed with shifting the power into the hands of the worker, an evil dictator has rose to power and killed hundreds of millions of people in a worse way than, in, than capitalism. And so it shifts the world, especially the Western world, into this place where we're anti-socialism and anti-revolution, which is not a horrible thing, but it's not a great thing. And we're, but we're also not really pro-capitalism either. And we're in this weird liberal area where capitalism isn't what Adam Smith wrote it to be, and capitalism isn't what, isn't what we want it to be. It's actually closer to what Marx criticized it for than it is to yeah. what we think it is. Agreed. Yet yet every time we've tried to implement a worker revolution or shift the hands into the people, a violent dictatorship has ar arose and caused hundreds of millions of deaths. And it's, it's terrifying and it's fascinating at the same time because what, that's what, we don't know where to go. 
and we don't have any other theorists who have proposed anything. It's been somewhat democratic socialism in the last few years of like slow reform. Let's put the hands in the power of the government kind of in order to justify giving social programs to the bottom. And it, all that does is it shifts power into the hands of the government and the corporations and indoctrinates the people even more. And it's, it's horrific. And I want to know your ideas about it. The buck has to stop with somebody. Somebody has to have the power. That's the problem. You, we cannot create a world as the radical libertarians see it. The radical libertarians have the right intent, even like a lot of, I wouldn't say leftists, but like radical liberals, I'd say the same thing about them from a different angle. They have all the right intentions, but the, in practice, it doesn't work. So like the libertarian belief, if you're like radically on it is like no government, all people, individuals, whatever, you know, and they may not say this part, but survival of the fittest, which to an extent, is and will remain true to what point do you make it rigged for people that were, you know, you never even have a shot. That's the question. You know, that doesn't work because you, when you leave all individual people in the law of large numbers to act on their own, there will be bad. There already will be bad no matter what, but now you will have no control or no social group resources against the bad. It'll be just like, oh, fuck you. Everyone's an individual, too bad, right? On the contrary, when you give all the power to something, a group of people, a person, that will be bad too. They may have a ticking time bomb. They may have their day where it ends, just like the Soviet Union. Well, that's not a great example. They technically ended, but it's not like it was at least, you know. But it can last a while, and it can destroy generations, and it will. In our system, if you put the – see, I don't even know where it stands. Like, I have a theory that the government – isn't in power because the government's been crafted by the people who are, which are the platforms. Think of it this way. You look at the right wing and the left wing, easily the two most highly brandable controversial figures right now who aren't, you know, Trump or Biden or something like that are Marjorie Taylor Greene and AOC. Yeah. And they're supposedly polar opposites. I'm not going to get into my whole argument. I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off real quick, but you could throw Joe Manchin in there too, right? Why would I throw Manchin in there? Because of his, I mean, he's not very polar, but I feel like because he's so centralized, kind of, he is so important to the political system right now that he... Yeah, so I don't want him anywhere near this example. Okay. Because Joe Manchin's an example. They're trying to crucify him right now. Joe Manchin for a while has long before any of this, like several years ago, he has been one of the guys who I'm like, you know, cause I'm most likely be like, all these people suck. He's been one of maybe the only person I've looked at in house or Senate where I'm like, I think this guy kind of gets it. Like I, I feel like he's not a total scumbag. 
I might be wrong, but I, I feel like he's, and you're seeing that now because he is such a true moderate guy. I love that, you know, but I'm talking about the extremes because what are we seeing on social media right now? They're trying to destroy Joe Manchin. They don't want that. That's not, Joe Manchin is not popular. That's not what these platforms want. It doesn't get the attention, right? He's only getting attention right now because he's going against his party. So it's a quick, nice story to say like, oh, look at this guy. He's going against his team or whatever. Okay, yeah. yeah I Marjorie Taylor Greene and AOC are extremes on the right and left. And they are, they're cartoon characters. Damn. They're social media superstar cartoon characters who, if, if I were stuck as the last person on planet Earth with either of them, I'd fuck myself before I'd fuck them. And that's not a reference to, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it, it's, it's fucking insane how nuts they are. Why is that though? It's that way. Like why? And why are they in power? It's that way because the platforms have incentivized ridiculous attention to gain all attention and culture, which includes politics. So th there was a great line after the last election where I guess like the DNC was having a meeting with all the reps and, and senators and stuff like a, like a phone conference. And I think it was rep Hakeem Jeffries came out and said something along the lines of, do we want to be social media superstars or do we want to legislate? And I was like, amen, brother, because that's exactly what has now become the thing. In order to get into office, you have to do ridiculous shit. You have to do things that can go viral on social media. So you are incentivized to what? You are incentivized to look at all the things that go viral on social media and integrate them into what you do. I mean, shit, when Trump was in office, he was tweeting out memes every other day. You know, that the president probably shouldn't be doing that, but he was because he was incentivized to do it. AOC is incentivized to be an incendiary figure and say all this shit about eating the rich and stuff while wearing a dress to the fucking Met Gala. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene is incentivized to take out, I don't know, 12 rifles that are bigger than she is and shoot a car that says socialism on it until it explodes and call that a political ad. They are, they are put in a position where the more they do this, yes, they will get more haters, but they will get more people who want to agree with them or agree with that point of view to go even farther towards that point of view and decide that they're a God. And this is why I'm like, do the government, does the government even really have power or do the platforms who are already paying them through lobbyists, but on the back end, quietly just like holding the puppeteer strings and being like, you know what? I think we want this type of person in office in three years. We don't have to go tell them to do it. We'll go incentivize it with content and things that keep people's attention. And then we'll make other people copy it, including people who run for office. Like that's what it is. I gave the two extreme examples of those two, but go look, go. I, I bet you I could pull up Hakeem Jeffries social media and see where he was trying to do some things. Like, I don't know that I haven't looked, but like, you're, you're incentivized to have to do it if you want to survive. It's the same reason why, you know, we have such an issue with term limits and, and with incentive structures for someone being in office. They're not voting based on their beliefs. They're voting on what's going to get the most support. 
at that moment where people, you know, people can change societies, can change opinions on a dime. So the same people who voted you into office because you believe in something could be fickle in a large group to suddenly not believe in that for five seconds when it's not convenient. Now a vote comes up and you're like, oh, well, they don't believe in it anymore. I guess I don't either vote against it. Like that's crazy. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. It's terrifying. And it's even more terrifying that, that the algorithms are creating minds of their own. And what I mean by that is they generate ways to keep like people code the algorithms, but then the algorithms work by themselves to create. um, I don't know if you watch the social llama, but a part of, a part of the thing, um, I learned, I can't remember what class I was taking. It was like algorithms, the way they work is they, they generate on themselves and they kind of grow and they kind of take on a mind of themselves. And so what yes. we're doing for the last however many years with Facebook, Instagram, things like that, is we've been creating these, these, these um, versions of ourselves, these online versions of ourselves that all they want to do is keep us locked in. And what's terrifying about that is what happens when it has a, body to do that what happens when it's a robot what happens when it's a living not a living thing but what happens if it's a moving part what happens if you create something like an like a tesla uber uh driver um that has a mind of its own that do we i, I mean we're heard, there yeah and and like it feels as though i've heard this a couple of times on some other podcasts it feels as though the inevitable merge is upon us the merge between physical and and um and techno technological the merge between human and robot is almost upon us where some form of neuralink cyborg exists and and we live online and 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 the world we know collapses entirely and and the only way that we'll live is some and you know to an extent we haven't merged with it but like when's the last time you went without your phone when it wasn't broken or getting fixed or getting a new one when's the you know we we're talking on a laptop right now now it's just me and you talking we don't have any like algorithms working hopefully but you know when is the last time you went without technology and so we're almost there i think the next step is merge emerging we went from the living room with the tv to the desk with the computer to the hand with the phone to what's probably going to be the chip or, you know, it'll be the glasses first and eventually it'll get there. And like, I'll, I'll give you this video too, cause it'll be wired up just so people can see, but I keep these, I keep these pictures in my studio on one wall. I have the picture of an atomic bomb test over that famous picture from Michelangelo where he's got the hand of God and Adam, but instead it's a robot's hand. And I do that because I constantly want to think about the fact that when we've been pushed to the brink of the things that threaten humanity before, and that was probably the best example. And some people would argue, I'm talking about nuclear bombs. Some people would argue it's been the only real example sustained over time that we've encountered yet. But when we did encounter it, you know, we're 80 years in and that hasn't been a problem. And it's, it's also, it is also some mutual, I forget the term, it's a psychological term, but like self, a mutual deterrence or something like that, where if you know that they have it, 
you're not going to use it because then they're going to use it and everyone's going to lose, right? With machines, that's harder to say because a nuclear bomb requires a human being to touch the button. When machines start thinking for themselves, it's not going to require a button. <laughs> they're going to do what they want to do. There was a story, I don't know, this was two or three years, maybe three or four years ago, where Facebook was working on AI, of course, Zuckerberg fucked something up. And they, they had two computers who they realized invented language, uh, their own language to talk to each other and were talking to each other behind their back. And so they had to unplug them because at that point they can, right? Right now we can unplug things. The question is when you start to create shit like that on a higher scale with something that you can't just unplug, where does that end? You know, I, I, those pictures are there because I try to keep that hope for humanity, but it doesn't mean that I, I can't have a reality check of like, well, how much is really going to be in our control? And like, then I look at China and their scumbag government and that piece of shit, Xi Jinping. And I'm like, well, these people don't even care about other human beings. They just, I don't know what their problem is. They just want to win. They torture their own people. You know, and you have like a billion Chinese people, a billion five Chinese people. I don't know why the world isn't trying to figure out how to get a lot of those people out of there and spread them in, into, into free societies and, and let them live freely and, and add the value for everyone else instead of there. You know, they don't have a choice but to live under that government. That's not their fault. So how do we give more of them a choice? You know, and I just... I'm very concerned that if China were the first one to get there, we're fucked. It seems as though we're almost already fucked because they, them and Russia clearly manipulate some form of our technology and bias in the media like at some at some level like we don't know at what level and we don't know where but we know at some level there are being there are bots being created to spread disinformation created by the chinese government and the russian government and we know that and it's working to an extent i don't know how prevalent because we're doing it by ourselves as well but it seems as though if you're one of those if you're one of those countries the number one thing you want to do is to take down the the largest liberal government and largest liberal um, economic power that has ever existed, right? You want to take it down. And they've been wanting to take it down since Mao came to power and since Stalin, you can say Lenin, but Stalin came to power. They wanted to destroy us. And it seems as though it's working better than ever now with through algorithms and through technology. Yes. Um, however, you said something that made me think um, – it made me think about uh, the future and the past kind of together. You were talking about radical liberalism or libertarianism not too long ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to give you another – I don't know if you like reading. I do. Yeah. Well, I mean not reading in general, but reading 19th century scholars. I don't know if you like reading that. But uh, Bakunin, The Great Schism, I think is called the book. He's an anarchist. I read that. He's an anarchist, and he was kind of – it was like at the – in the 19th century, it was kind of late 19th century. It was kind of him versus Marx for who would whose ideas would go prevalent. And he was more of an anarchist, you would kind of say. And he obviously Marx was a 
communist, but um, I don't I don't fancy his ideas. But it's it's interesting to read because you'll see where he criticizes Marx um, correctly, and you'll also see where a lot of what he says sounds like the radical libertarianism, or some people call it the uh, anarcho capitalism, where privatization is like the most important thing, privatization and individuation, or making everything more individual about the individual instead of collectivizing everything and, um, and, uh, and privatizing everything. And, and, and if you read that, you see how the history really does repeat itself. We keep coming mm-hmm. back to these same ideas because I, I mean, obviously not enough people read and not enough people read scholars from the last 20th from the 20th century and 19th century. Cause if you did, you know, if, if people did, you would see, like, I truly believe that the 20th century was the most important time in American or especially American history, but just the world history. And, and it's hard to say that, but I think with, you know, spanning the two world wars, the Cold War, um, it, talking about the Cold War, we can talk about the nuclear bomb crisis like we were talking about, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, obviously, the JFK conspiracy assassination. I think because mlk i think because of such the historic um importance of the 20th century i think if people read more 20th century history we wouldn't be in this problem we would see it be like okay now we have an even more detrimental body in technology um you know we already had a problem with the nuclear bomb crisis and and we 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 survived through the thin of the skin you know we we survived with the hair like you know that's small and so i think that by limiting the history that we're reading and you know that's what they're pushing for right now especially the leftists they're saying that you know we need to get rid of history because it's all racist yeah that's a big problem um that's a big problem we're limiting people's ability to understand the problems that happen in history and we're just going to eventually continue the cycle and just keep spinning around until we eventually don't exist anymore yeah i had a video banned on tiktok in september for hate speech that was the opposite of the hate speech it was banned for it's because on my videos i use imagery so you know i take clips from the podcast and put some music behind it and I use video cuts of things related to whatever's being said. Totally fucking fascinating videos, by the way. I love them. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. But I made a video where it was honestly like, it was kind of like an extra video. I'm like, ah, yeah, this one was fun to make. Whatever. I put it out there. Didn't think much of it, but it was 30 seconds of me walking people through the very high level basics of operation paperclip, which are you familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah. So for people that aren't, it's was a secret that is now not a secret operation that the United States government had after World War II. At the end, they were immediately concerned about Soviet Union and the Cold War was ramping up right away. And so unfortunately, this was an unfortunate fact, the Nazis did have some of the best talent when it comes to technology and innovation in the world. And so the U S was afraid that the Soviets were going to get all these people, which they did get some of them. And so in an effort to not do that, they went and got them. Now, instead of then getting them to keep them away from the Soviets and 
throw them in prison and or put them on trial and throw them in prison for crimes against humanity because a lot of these people were Nazis, like Nazi, Nazi, Nazis, like let's kill Jewish people, Nazis, like not that, you know, any of them were good, but I'm saying like these were the guys who were pulling the triggers in many cases, like just the worst of the worst who should have faced for their crimes. Instead of doing that, we gave them jobs. They lived in mansions. They came to America. They had a new chance. You know, and so you had a guy like Warner Von Braun, who's the most famous of all of them as far as what we know he did and, and then what he did in America. But he was the head engineer for NASA. He effectively put us on the moon. He was sitting next to Kennedy in these meetings and, you know, again, next to Lyndon Johnson, walking through how this was all going to go down. And that guy, we know for a fact, was a humanitarian nightmare of a Nazi. And so I put out a video where I talked about this and was like explaining like this is fucking crazy that the the intonation of my video was this is crazy that we did this this was wrong you know it was years ago now but like this can't happen and they banned it because it was a world war ii video now that's not why they banned it but in a world war ii video where you use historical imagery don't you think it's probably pretty relevant to use imagery from Nazi Germany because they were kind of the whole basis of the war. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I did. And would you agree that in using that imagery at some point, you're probably going to show their psycho leader, Adolf Hitler. And you're also probably at some point, whether it's on a uniform or a flag somewhere, you're going to have a swastika in there. Probably. Okay. That's why I got banned. And it was instantaneously denied on appeal. So it was the algorithm that did it, that's been trained to do that. And I went and did some research and found out that a lot of people who like create World War II history accounts get banned off TikTok. Because you literally can't have an account where you don't fucking show the people who caused the whole goddamn war. And so, like, let's play, let's be nice. And let's say their intentions are good. And their intentions are, well, we don't want any white supremacists on here showing the swastika. I agree with you, right? You don't have to have that on your platform. Now, I think we're at a point where the danger is, unfortunately, everything has to go because they never stop. But like, let's play their side and let's say, yes, I, well, for one thing, I certainly agree. No one wants to see that. But then I'll even say, yes, when, when they're doing that, when the white nationalists are doing it, censor it, take it off. Fine. Let's agree. How do you not separate the two? How do you not recognize the importance of understanding what's happened in the world to figure out so that people can learn and not let it happen again? If you don't recognize that, you're either stupid or you're complicit. And these people aren't in the business of being stupid. Yeah, they're not. I think that... They, it's more important to move online than it is to learn what happened to the world. And so that's their end-all, be-all. But, you know, something that doesn't go along with um, online in the metaverse but is totally important to um, World War II, the Argentina conspiracy and who all made it yeah. and who didn't make it. Have well, I got you something for you. Yeah, please, can you just, just jump full speed ahead? All right, I'll start here. Do you think Hitler died? Okay, I did for my whole life because that's what you're taught. Until a couple years ago, I was reading, or maybe I was watching something, but I think I was reading uh, an article by a German philosopher of the 1970s, I think. 
or maybe it wasn't a German philosopher, but it was a, it was a European philosopher in the 1970s who said that Hitler's body was never found and that we were lying. And then it came out and it was actually a 35-year-old woman who we've been saying yes, is Hitler the whole time. So as soon as I read that, because this guy wrote this in like the 1970s and then it all came out 10 years ago, five years ago, that it was, I don't know how long ago when we decided that it wasn't Hitler, but I was like, as soon as I saw that article, I was like, oh, so that article was right. And I went back and reread it and everything that he said, like he, I think he said that Hitler uh, escaped to Argentina. And I was like, that seems a little more feasible that the leader of the Nazi regime would, would, would make it to Argentina with all the other head Nazis um, instead of just shooting himself, even though, especially since we don't have the body. Yeah, and that story about the 35-year-old woman, and I don't have the details in front of me right now, so if I get a small thing wrong here, people just Google this and check it out. But it was the Soviets had the body and they had the fragment of the skull. And this is all before DNA and everything. So at some point, I want to say it was in like 2008 or 2009, whoever had it gave US scientists access in Russia to the skull who were able to then get the results and say, wait, no, this is not even a male skull and it's not Ava Brown's skull. It's which was Hitler's, his wife. He had just married her. It wasn't hers and this isn't Hitler's. And so then it was like quiet and they're like, Oh, and they just sent them away and that Russia just didn't do Putin didn't talk about it again. And it kind of went away. Um, I want to be careful how I say this. I, you know, this is one of my conspiracies that I'm a believer in. And it wasn't over a short time. I kind of spent a lot of time figuring he was dead too, but I, I can't, <sighs> there, there's one piece of evidence I do have that I don't feel comfortable talking about publicly because it was somebody who good, who told me like a very, very high place source. Um, but People are just going to have to hear that and assume that's bullshit, I guess, because he said, she said. But once I heard that piece of information, then I was a thousand percent sure. But before I heard that, there, there was a lot wrong with it. Between the body with the Russians and, you know, us getting over there and realizing that it wasn't him. And the fact that Hitler was one of the most textbook narcissists to ever walk this planet. Narcissists are not really in the business of admitting defeat. That suicide was a total admission of defeat. And they also, they were sick in their ideology. Like they, they didn't just believe in it. They couldn't imagine a world without it. They wanted this third Reich to take over the world. They wanted a world that was Aryan and all this racial bullshit and we do know that the rat lines not only existed, but they were well off. And, you know, Joseph Mengele, who's one of the worst doctors to ever walk the face of this earth, he died in Brazil. We know that. He lived in Brazil until 1986. As a fugitive from justice, he would have for sure. I mean, there wouldn't have even been a trial for him. They would have just shot him in the courtroom. I mean, he was he was a guy who believed the entire time he was at Auschwitz, the concentration camp, and he would experiment on Jewish children 
without any anesthesia. He would look him in the eyes while he maybe killed him or made him wish they were dead, you know, and did horrible things. And there was another famous one that's gotten some more attention over the last couple of years because they made a movie about it with Ben Kingsley, but Adolf Eichmann, who was quote unquote, one of the masterminds of the final solution, which was the, the extermination of, of the Jewish people. He was living in, I believe it was either Argentina or Brazil is one of them. And Israeli Mossad agents were able to capture him in 1960 in a clandestine operation to bring him to Israel and then put him on trial and bring him to justice and then execute him. But it goes to show you why did they have to do it clandestine? They had to do it clandestine because these people were protected by the governments over there. And how were they protected? They were protected because for years ahead of world war two, and it wasn't that long when you think about it, but they, they had supported these governments. They had given them money. They, they owned them in a lot of ways. And then they also stole and pillaged. The Nazis did a lot of money and, and goods throughout the war and, and ahead of that. So they had the, these riches to offer and they brought them all with them. And there were people in the Catholic church who were in on it. Like there were, there were high up people in the Catholic church who were getting the Nazis after world war II down from Germany and Austria and France and these other places through Italy off boats from Sicily and across the Atlantic over to South America. And we've seen the communities that they've built that continue to exist today in those countries. There are people with names like von Scherbenstalker down in fucking Chile. Like, what? No, that those their grandfather was standing in a room with Hitler talking about how to kill everyone who wasn't white. You know, so the idea that Hitler would have been the one to kill himself there is crazy to me. And I think that you know, you look at it, the FBI, who let's be honest, they were run by J. Edgar Hoover, who was pretty much not a great guy and was certainly not the most honest person. But the FBI had pictures of what Hitler could look like immediately. And they kept them for, they still have them, but they kept them and were looking at them for years because they never thought he was dead. None of the, like, I don't think, I think there was evidence, which was, he said, she said stuff where Churchill didn't think he was dead, you know, and no body, no crime. Right. It doesn't mean that he didn't die, but it's one that now, because of what I've heard and then just looking at it over and over again, it's like, yeah, he probably didn't die. And so my question is, did his ideology really just die off with him and the guys who got to live out their lives in somewhat freedom, you know, with their riches in South America where, you know, they couldn't run the world? Or did they continue cultivating relationships and building those relationships and things like that? Because like, if you look at like what China's doing, they're doing right now on a massive scale economically what Germany did, except way bigger. China's been going up to countries that they know can't pay back their debt for years, for a decade, two decades, three decades, whatever it is. And they've been taking them on because then they own them. It's like the mafia. They come in, they know you can't pay that gambling debt. They're going to own you forever now on interest. And they're going to forget the money. You will take care of the money. We got enough of that. We're going to tell you what to do. You know, could Hitler have done something like that and somehow gotten that across society? I don't know. But it's the idea that like, 
the guy who was in charge of the rise of Nazi Germany never saw justice, even if he did die. That sucks. I hate that. I hate it even more because the fact that we know, we know for a fact that we, through Operation Paperclip, we brought over powerful Nazis and we, yeah. we let, we let them, you know, work in NASA and high government scientific offices. Like we let them do that. And we let them, especially, I mean, obviously we all know about um, Warner Von Braun. Everyone should at least by now, if you don't look into that, but we know that we let them over here. And so to assume that nobody knew at the time, you know, nobody knew in America that he was alive. They knew they fucking knew knew. because 20 years later, you know, we could get into this and see the picture on the wall. Um, CIA and the government probably killed the president of the United States and the mafia. Yeah. We like, we know that, the magic bullet just came out, right? It just came out to say that it never hit anything, right? Yeah. Um, That's another one. that it's, a, it's an affront to your intelligence. Like when you yeah. talk about conspiracies, you know, there's a lot of people who like try to say that those weren't planes that flew into the buildings on 9-11. Shit like that is very dumb because yeah. you can see it. You know what it was. JFK, you can also see it. You know that a bullet can't do that. You know what I mean? And you know that there's all kinds of records around it too. So yeah, it's like you can you can go down that rabbit hole and build enough evidence to say like no question. Whether it was the CIA or whatever, you can question some of that stuff, but it's like, yes, he was killed and the government does know who did it. Yeah, they just came out and said that the world's not ready to see the JFK documents. The Biden Biden administration did. I'm sorry. What do you mean the world's not ready? That was 60 plus years ago that he died, right? No, 50. 50 no, 60 plus. It's 2021. It might be 2022. The fact that means there are people alive that they're protecting. That's that's exactly what it means. That means that there are there are clearly people, and this adds fuel to the Argentine. Institu- Hold on. There, you're thinking of people though. Have you ever thought about institutions? No, I actually haven't. Let's say that even a few septed, you know, 90-year-olds were still alive and they're protecting them. Is that enough? Who the fuck cares? Like at that point, you know, those guys are ready for someone to put a bullet in them anyway. They can't get out of bed in the morning, right? Yeah. Whereas if you admit that the CIA killed him, how can the CIA exist the next day? Yeah, the entire it, it, it's the same way that like with Epstein, people are like, oh, they're hiding all this because if some if just some people, if some people were found out about this, it wouldn't exist the next day. You know, the, the, the royals were worried about if they didn't respond. I heard you guys talking about Princess Diana, but the royals were worried about if they didn't respond to her death, like oh shit, this is getting so bad, the reaction to it, that like, if we don't say anything, the monarchy could be threatened because people are that much on edge over the death of one person. Think about an entire organization that runs the entire spying operation for an entire nation. If you found out tomorrow that they killed a sitting U.S. president, even if it were 100 years ago, 
the entire organization is now built on a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, like Lance Armstrong comes out and admits he did steroids, Livestrong, that's been around for a decade at that point or whatever, falls through the floor the next day. It's a lie, even though Livestrong does great things and they still do manage to exist, but they're much smaller, right? Like, it's a lie. No one gives a fuck. Everyone stop wearing those bands. That's a stupid fucking foundation. Yeah. Have you heard? This is, this could be way off kilter, but I've, I saw something on TikTok and then I looked into it and I, it was a little fishy. The fact that Ava Von Braun or Ava Von Braun's, for someone related to her, is Obama's grandmother or great grandmother. Um, I don't know if that's yeah. true. No, I, I doubt it. Yeah. But I, I think I think the conspiracies around Obama were all very bullshit. The the only thing that got me was I did see some correlation, but you know, you're not going to say that Obama's a Nazi. You're not going to say that. But no. like, it is interesting. It does add fuel if if that is the case. If like let's say she was, you know, she. I highly it. doubt that's but the case. Even so, it just adds more fuel to like they survived and they got away. That's it. That's the only thing I would think about it. Yeah, and I I don't think that's. Here's the other thing you got to think about with conspiracies, and this is why, like when we were talking about the vaccine earlier, my my issue with the vaccine is that they is the way that they did this. I feel like they used it as a dividing mechanism. They came out and overpromised all this stuff when they knew damn well it wasn't going to be able to be that effective, like as effective as they painted it, the greatest of all time, which I was like, oh, wow, sounds good. You know, I was one of them. I was like, okay. That they knew that people, as they saw the goalposts move, would eventually turn and they needed enough people to turn to divide society, right? But when it comes to the vaccine itself, you and I seem to share the opinion I don't have any hesitation to it doing anything to me. They're not put Bill Gates isn't putting a microchip in me. They're not fucking killing me. They're not, they're, they're, they're not doing population control or anything No. because the number of this is, this is the point. When you think about any conspiracy, you need to think about the number of people who aren't in like a presidential or like a high government position, like think normal people too who are just someone that works at somewhere or whatever, the number of people who would have to be in on the conspiracy always needs to be the number one consideration. So the smaller the group of people you could have in on it and the level of power that, that, that the people across that group have, the higher the level of power, the more ability for the conspiracy to exist. But when you start to get down to products or the way that, that things move over time and across generations, people can be brainwashed. But when it's like in the million, like you would literally need millions of people to be in on a vaccine conspiracy for them to be killing you with a vaccine. Like if you think about that. So now think about like Hitler and what he would have had to pull off a defeated, assumed, presumed dead leader of, you know, a hated state or whatever the fuck they were. Across, think about all the shit, all the bowling pins they would have to knock down all the people they would have to get in on it over generations. Now we're four generations on from that. Impossible. I guess nothing's impossible, but no way at some point, somebody wouldn't talk by accident and they wouldn't get to them before they did. There's no way. Okay. We're 
almost two hours into this and we have not talked about Ghislaine Maxwell trial or Epstein. Let's go. So to start with what, not just what I know, but just to start, you said something about when we were talking about the institutions, getting rid of the institutions, not just the people. You can see that with Epstein because they're totally running with the idea that Clinton's the Clintons are evil now that they're not in power anymore. You can totally see that. They're the only one that we're talking about that went to the island is Bill Clinton. That's the only one that you ever hear about, which is wild because there's a lot more people than just Bill Clinton. Um, and so what you see is they're willing to get rid of people who are not in power. They're willing to let the conversation be done with people who are not in power currently. And I so think why are they why are they free? That's 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 when we start talking about the institution, right? That's when we start talking about how the only reason they're not bringing up the people who are not are in power is because they are they surround the institution that they want to protect, like you said. So I, I, I think you changed my mind when you said that because I think I'm gonna start thinking about it like that is the only reason they're not talking about Biden. We don't know if he was there or not, but the only reason they're not talking about him if he was is because he's the president of the United States and he holds up the American institution as a whole nation. Um, but just from me to you, get in about what you know about the whole Epstein death, the whole Epstein Island, and then obviously the case. We know it just closed and she was guilty on all six or seven counts. But what do you think that means? What do you think happens going forward? Um, do you think more people are going to come out? Uh, do you think she's going to wind up dead before she's allowed to testify against people? What happens? So... Mm, a lot to go here. First thing, the the kid Adam Cole, who's on your podcast last, was great. I really enjoyed him. Good guy. Uh, had a lot of interesting thoughts too. Really made me think. There was one thing in there. I don't want to attack him at all, but there was one thing that I want to use as an example of where we gotta we gotta rein it in in order to stay focused and and figure out how as as a people as collective humanity we're gonna see if we can get this to light. I don't know if we can, cause they're trying to cover it up, but he was talking about like the princess Diana connection with like, she was going to expose Prince Andrew as a pedophile. Like I'm not saying that's not possible, but that's probably not true. You know, Andrew, Andrew's always been a fucking playboy and whatever, but it wasn't, how do I explain this? Like when you start rolling that into everything, including like her killing and then rolling it back to like whether or not Harry was her kid, which, or was her husband's kid, which he was, you know, then this is where you get the ball of Epstein so far that then people can shut down like, oh, it's not as big a deal as we think because all the crazy conspiracy theorists people believe it and they believe, you know, the fucking world is flat, right? You don't want to take things so far outside of what you know or it could reasonably, reasonably have evidence to back in some facet or like good skepticism to then take away from the main point. So with Epstein, I try to keep it to... Let's look at the things that are there that they're trying to cover up just from like censorship more than anything versus like having the evidence already covered up, meaning like some of it's quite literally known, you know? So yes, we know Bill Clinton went on that plane to that Island 27 times. We know that he was, there are eyewitnesses on the Island who saw him convorting with underage women in his defense. I'll say this. 
have to say this. Eyewitness testimony is one of the more least reliable things. Where it gets much more reliable is when it's multiple people, though. And there are multiple people, I believe, who have said that and gone through that. And, you know, there's skeptics who could say, well, are they being paid or are they looking for, like, you don't know. But, like, there's always going to be an element of this you don't know. So that's one thing. The other thing we know is a bunch of the other people who were on his flight manifest who went to the island with him. And one of the interesting ones who did not go to the island with him that is just so curious to me is the whole Trump thing. Because, and this is where I start to go, to the institution's point where there's some serious shit at play here that we don't know about that is trying to be covered because Trump is one of the guys, he was one of the only people on record for almost two decades before this happened as being firmly against this guy, calling him a pervert. So he was vaguely friends with Epstein and we, you know, we knew that I'll get to this, but we knew that he had flown on his jet from West Palm, not to the island, but to New York, back to New York once before. But what happened was Epstein was a member of Mar-a-Lago. And one day, I think this is maybe like 2000, something like that. He came on to a 15-year-old towel girl. The girl reported it. And I believe it was Trump's instructions were to the security team, if that, not that I don't know if they would have done this, but you know, if that guy ever sets foot on this property again, shoot him. So he, he was on record with that. And then when he was running in 2015, when he had just started, I'll never forget this. He did an interview with Mark Halperin and John Heilman on who had a Bloomberg show at the time. This is before they did the circus documentary, I think. And their regular like daily politics show on Bloomberg I think he had been sitting down with them and he had just done the interview and then he like got up or maybe he was walking past her booth. I forget what it was, but he's like not on the set. He's like on camera though, standing directly over Mark Halperin, like who's sitting in the chair like this. And he just out of nowhere goes, and you know, you got to look into this Epstein guy. He's guy, he takes girls down there and rapes them on islands. And he's very, very bad guy. Bad. Like he's saying this shit publicly and he knew him. There's pictures of him with him because he's been on record about it. Like, fuck this guy. No, no, no. I like, hot women but the implication that he's trying to put out there is i'm not into little girls that's bullshit that's fucking crazy which any sane person should say what i want to know now is why donald trump has been completely silent about this now i know he's not on twitter and everything but you don't hear a word from him about this whole epstein thing you don't see him putting his face on camera to talk about this and we found out i believe for the first time at the trial that he was on that plane six other times now, none of them went to the island. They all went Florida to New York. But why have, why have we never heard about that? Why is he now suddenly shutting up? It could be one of two reasons. He could be either be complicit this whole time and was trying to just get out in front of it the entire time, doing all this other shit. Or there's powerful people telling him, if you want to live tomorrow, if you want your family to live tomorrow, you're not going to say anything. Either one is bad. And so when you're talking about two former sitting presidents who are in the middle of this, either for the same reasons or different reasons, whatever it is, that alone right there tells you, holy shit, this is, this is, this is, a, this is an avalanche, right? But it, it does come back to like, who was this guy? I know Rogan cited Eric Weinstein, Weinstein talking about him and saying that he knew he was a fraud and didn't know anything. I think 
I, that could be true. And I, I like Eric Weinstein a lot. I, I think that guys like that and guys like Steven Pinker are so upset that this man ever took pictures with them or ever ran in a circle with them and they see what he's become that they may be covering their bases there because they didn't do anything wrong in that, in this argument I'm making, they did nothing wrong. They never convorted with him on an Island. They didn't, they didn't really know what he was doing or anything like that. They just happened to be in the same room with them sometimes. And they know how that looks. I think part of that could be them covering for that because this guy might've been really smart. He might have also, though, been exactly what Weinstein said, in which case, what does that tell you? It, it means that he would have needed full support from some sort of clandestine operation, which would be a government operation, you know, and that's where it gets really hazy because that's that's what we need to know. And people that throw out like the conspiracy theory that he was Mossad, the reason you have to entertain it. I'm not saying that's what it was. I have a lot of doubts about that. But the reason you have to entertain it is because Ghislaine's father was most likely an asset of the Mossad's, of, of Mossad, which is the Israeli intelligence agency for people who don't know that. And Israel, in their defense as a nation, it's been a little better in recent years with certain neighbors, but in general, they are a, they are locked by other nations around them who hate them and would like to see them not exist. There's only 11 million people or whatever it is, 11 or 13 million Israeli Jewish citizens who live there. That is the bastion of the Jewish race who not for nothing was had an extermination attempt on them 80 years ago. That's not that long ago. You know, they are constantly in a corner, right? They are much more forced to respond or proactively react to things before they happen just to save themselves. So I, I recognize that a lot. Could it be that they went way too far with one though? Could it be that they literally for the fate of their nation went to, you know what? shit happens in the world we're going to sacrifice thousands of little girls who are already fucked anyway because they're quote-unquote at-risk youth for the gains of making sure we have blackmail on a bunch of people could that be it could and we talked about like if the cia was revealed as as the the source of kennedy's killing they wouldn't exist the next day same thing with israel if israel were revealed as the source of this they would be bombed off the planet by their enemies the next day yeah because for 24 hours or a week or a month whatever it is everyone else who hates them would have the moral high ground to do something about it even if it would age very badly and, and be genocide call it what it is right they could do something about it for a minute and they wouldn't be totally like ripped by everyone because it'd be like these motherfuckers did epstein and like this guy had pictures with everyone. Like he just found a way to get into the room. You know, there's people who he very clearly compromised like a Bill Gates, which doesn't help with this whole, like everyone's trying to put conspiracy theories on the vaccine. That doesn't help that he's a guy who's like, so pro, pro, such a proponent of it because then, you know, he's compromised by fucking Epstein, but like guys like that, it's pretty clear. You can, you can tell like 
if you watch him talk about Epstein, that's the guiltiest fucking person I've ever seen in my life. You know, guys like Prince Andrew. I'm a little more on the fence about him. I think he might just be really fucking stupid. I think that's a, that's a real possibility. And in being stupid, which is also never an excuse. Yeah. He, he probably committed some crimes. Like it's, it's pretty clear. Like, like he slept with girls who were underage, which there's just, you know, you, you gotta go to jail for that. But as far as like being a mastermind with Epstein, I don't, I don't think he's smart enough to do that. I don't know if he was smart enough to know what was going on. I think this guy was just a schmoozer. I mean, you look at his history, he found ways into things and like, dude, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Mike Spear and I talked about this on our recent podcast. We talked about Epstein, but on one we did back in March where we got blacked out. It was fucking great. But we talked, we talked about this one in particularly the guy who was just attorney general, John Barr. Do you know his connection to Epstein? Slightly, but can you, uh, tell me and the listeners exactly what his connection was. So John Barr was the attorney general when Jeffrey Epstein was allegedly killed himself. He didn't kill himself, obviously, but meaning he was the head of the justice department in charge of protecting the prisoners of the federal government to make sure that doesn't happen. And attorney general Barr, uh, this is where some of that generational stuff arguments I made against that earlier could come into play hypocritically a little bit. So I'll admit that, but attorney general Barr's father was the headmaster. I forget the name of the school, but he was the headmaster of a, like the highest end elementary school. Maybe it was a high school too, but I think it was, it was elementary middle school in New York city. I believe it was on the upper East side, forget its name, but he was the headmaster who was responsible for giving a college degree list, Jeffrey Epstein, his first job. Jeffrey Epstein was a teacher, think about this, of children. Taught children to start his career. That he then somehow finessed and finagled his way into becoming an investment banker at Bear Stearns. <laughs> it's like, you can't make this shit up. So where there is like th that whole six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing, there is a, there's a fucking 50 degrees of Jeffrey Epstein thing. And it's very hard to figure out in that web who's complicit and who's just like, like Elon Musk took a picture with, with Ghislaine Maxwell. Elon Musk doesn't have anything to hide, man. I mean, like he says whatever the fuck he wants. I guess he could be guilty, but like she took a fucking picture with him. Like that's what these people did. So in, in that web, that 50 degrees, you have to try to figure out the people who, who were just uh, taking the picture, but then you also don't have full proof. Just like I just said, like, I can't tell you that like Elon never talked with him. Right. Like there's, there's the little room of possibility, even if it's 0.01% and this guy touched all of them. And then he went really deep with some specific, very, very powerful people and destroyed them forever. You know, he destroyed a Prince Andrew and maybe legitimately too, maybe exactly like Andrew was a complete criminal. I, I could certainly see that, you know, he seems to have destroyed Bill Clinton, but Bill Clinton's the cockroach that never dies. You know, he just, he finds a way to, to drum on and he's not in jail, you know, and he might've destroyed Trump. And if they can find a way to destroy him, like part of me says when I give my theory earlier that they're just trying to put him back in power to make it 12 years of Trump instead of four, 
you know, with this whole middle four years and then giving him four more. Part of me says they're, they're covering for him in the media. I can see that. He's a moneymaker. You know, yeah. it's, it's a sick world. It's a sick world, but that's kind of a diary of thoughts. I, I guess the thing I should close on just to keep this conversation rolling on, on the current events is that, you know, Ghislaine was obviously just found guilty of five of the six counts, which I haven't reviewed the count she wasn't found guilty for, but I, come on, like what the fuck is wrong with you people? So it's like, they're trying to say, Oh, well, we got justice. When in reality, this case now, the order at the end of the case was all evidence. Please review this on Google with the exact language, but I think it's all evidence that wasn't revealed at trial or wasn't allowed to be revealed along with evidence that just didn't get used is sealed. Meaning the judge ordered that people can't see it. And yet this judge also was just appointed by the federal government for her next fucking bump and like some court one of the big courts of appeals, I think right before this trial and the same judge rushed to get the jury back in after the holidays and was pushing them over and over again, blaming the Omicron variant when the Omicron variant is the first variant of COVID that doesn't seem to kill a lot of people at all. Like it's, it's, it's very basic as opposed to Delta and the other ones. It's like they were blaming it on that so they could get the decision in on Thursday, December 30th, the day before Friday, perfect year for this to all fall, by the way, New Year's Eve on a Friday, New Year's on a Saturday, everyone's chilling on Sunday. They go back to work groaning on Monday, you know, in their fucking home offices now. So they, they dumped the result of the trial four days ahead of Monday, four days with a judge that just got appointed by the federal government to do something right before it. And they quietly seal all the evidence, and you can't talk about it. I don't make clips of Epstein, if you notice that. You don't. I made yeah. one, and I knew it was good, and it didn't work. It went nowhere. And I said, I, I unfortunately can't waste my time. These things take up to 15, 20 hours sometimes. Like, I, I don't have that luxury of making clips that no one's going to watch, you know, because um, they're not going to put it places. But it's it's really, it, it's sick, man. The whole thing's sick, twisted, and I don't even know what to say about it. Yeah, I don't think, to go off something you said, I don't think, I don't think, and if somehow he managed to get away with all this and to interconnect his web through the entire American government, plus some, um, as an idiot, wow, more power to him. But yeah. I don't think you can say Epstein's an idiot. I don't think there's a person in the world who could admit that and actually like truly have dove into the research it does make you think though and i'm a preface by saying he has said a lot of dumbass shit but alex jones dude alex jones is one of the weirdest is one of the weirdest instances of of media in america because he's somebody that was put off as a nutbag for 10 to 15 20 years forever yeah he was right about Bohemian Grove. He snuck in and proved it. He was right mm -hmm. about Epstein. He was mm -hmm. right about a lot of things going on in the American government. He's a lot about. He was right about. Um, now, I have heard a lot of him talk about this, his his God arguments and things like that. His um, and his arguments about like the inner. He um. I'm gonna, again, I'm going to preface this by saying he's he said a lot of wonky things, but it, it makes you wonder. With a guy like him, 
you know, you label him as a conspiracy nut in order for people not to believe everything he says, right? Because Who started using the word conspiracy on a grand scale. Um, the CIA after the JFK assassination, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you label him as that so that you just walk past him. But looking back at it, dude, like every time I listen to him on Joe Rogan's podcast and I've listened to two or three of, I don't know how many episodes. He's been on three times. I've listened to every second of all three (laughs) just for entertainment. Yeah. And, but then you, 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 you listen to it and you go back and you listen to it after things come out and you're like, hold on a second. Mm -hmm. He was right. He was fucking right. And it makes you wonder who, who else is being censored right now that is speaking the truth? Um, I, Alex Jones is, I mean, I'd be lying if I told you I didn't think he was entertaining as fuck. The guy is like a comedy act. I mean, you ha- I don't, I've never been to Infowars.com. I was never a guy like when he was mainstream. I was never watching his show. But like, I always saw the clips. The guy's gold, right? Like, mm-hmm. as far as like entertainment, it's fucking hilarious. He's also out of his mind. He's also probably a fairly, he has a fairly high IQ as an individual, but I often call Alex Jones the biggest waste of talent ever because he does get things right. And when he's right, he is right. And it's like, holy shit. But he also gets a lot of things wrong. And the thing about when Alex Jones is wrong, you know, and I can say this about the media today, though, too. Like, this is how far we've gotten. I don't really make a difference between the mainstream media and Alex Jones. Like, I think I would give them the same critique on this matter. And that is when he's wrong, it's not like, oh, I said 75%. It was really 55 It's more like, oh, it turns out Barack Obama does not abduct children, put them in his basement, rape them, and eat them. My bad. You know, d- totally wrong. My bad. Yeah. Like, that's how wrong he is. So it detracts from when he's right because you and I have the ability to look at it and at least on the most obvious things be like, oh, nope, that has some merit to it. And then, oh, wow, a year later, it happened, right? We can do that. When you poison him through his own faults to everyone a year later, you're over time like you got you have 60 percent of society that thinks the guy is a, a comedy act you know that assumes anything he says is bullshit they now no longer have the ability or even can go online to do it because he's not on any of the platforms they deplatformed him but they now no longer have the ability to even comprehend the idea that he could be right about something oh the guy who said sandy hook was was child actors could be right about something. Think about how crazy that sounds, you know? And like, it's, it's sad to me because these big ones, the big, big ones that are like, Oh baby, we talk about that scale. I, I gave earlier the whole level of power versus smaller number of people, that good combination right there. Shit can happen. I mean, Epstein and, Bohemian Grove are just two examples of that that are perfect. You know, they're absolutely perfect and he appears to have nailed them. You know, so we can balance it, but other people won't. And so it, it, it won't matter. You know, he has the same 
level of credibility and, and, or I'm sorry, the, the media now has the same level of credibility that he does. And I know a lot of people who have just decided the media is all lies no matter what. And of course, like I look at everything they say skeptically, but I also know that there's within all lies that happen, there's also things that are real. And I do my best to pick out like, okay, that's evidence backed. That makes sense. Right. Okay. That's total bullshit. A lot of people won't do that. They're on one team or the other, you know? So he's, he's a tough, he's a tough situation, but yeah, when, when he's right, he's right. It is interesting that to go off the Epstein point that, and to play back to something we talked about earlier regarding the metaverse, it is interesting that the first things, the lands that they're selling are islands in the metaverse, right? When you think about that and how, and how, Oh, sorry. And how, that was good. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. And how like, there could be an interconnected network where they're just feeding indoctrination to everybody. And, and, and you know, I don't think there's going to be a whole large pedophile Island within the metaverse, but you know, who knows? Um, but I'm, it's just interesting because you can see, you can see specific things molding together and, 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 and you can see power dynamics and, and how really if you don't research anything on your own, you can just become caught up in whatever the media tells you. And you can just believe that everything yes. you hear about Alex Jones is that he's a kooky fucking nut who accidentally got some things right. But most of the time, says a lot of wrong things, and that Epstein was just a pedophile, and some bad people went to him. And you can just get caught up thinking that Neuralink and the metaverse are just technology. The the what technology had to advance to, and 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 you can't sit here and think like, well, you know, maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe they're trying to force us into this technological advancement in order to keep us from grabbing the power back, or maybe maybe we're Maybe they're indoctrinating us so that, like, I thought about this the other day when I thought about, like, the chips and going to the metaverse. Bill Gates doesn't let his son or I don't, Steve Jobs didn't let his kids play on iPhones or tablets. Everybody who has creates these He's also dead. You have to give him that. He's now, been dead for a decade. Yeah, yeah. But, but the people who are creating this technology aren't going to let their kids necessarily or their families dive straight into it so it makes you think there's still going to be people who exist in the real world when that eventual most people are existing in the metaverse what is that world going to look like what is going to be going on behind the scenes in the real world when everybody else has been forced to become interconnected with Neuralink and and the metaverse and and all the technological advancements that are that are happening it just makes you wonder yeah i i don't know I don't think any of us know. I think, like I said earlier, I think some of the companies who can simulate this and have access to that data, they have a good idea. They have at least a very good idea. But if you feed, when when they test rats in a lab and they give them some sort of substance, could be regular food, could be a drug, whatever. They give them something, they give them a nut. They can observe over time 
the method and speed with which the rat consumes, the buildup to going over to consume it, the Pavlov's dog of developing habits that make them consume it, how they change neurologically or in behavior physically as well uh, as they're consuming whatever it is. That, that is the same thing as what we, the product, give Facebook and all these other companies the access to. Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, all of them. They learn more about us. And even if it's not the people learning right away, the algorithm's doing the learning for them and reporting what it is. You know, they can see, they watch numbers move. You know, I'm trained to watch numbers on charts as a content creator, right? And I'm psycho about it because I try to see like what works and what doesn't. And I can, I can even myself sitting here in the seat predict what types of people in comments are going to come next based on view volume inside of an hour and what things are coming out early. And I, I can see, like, I can see where it's going and I'm some asshole in New Jersey. You know, think about all these people that actually, they're not just eyeballing it like me. They have all the data. They have access to everything. It's like, like when Snowden came out and talked about what the NSA had access to. They could get into anyone's computer at any time or phone and say they can right now. Probably listen to this. You know, like, what is that? Does that mean that they can totally curate the whole thing? Maybe. And you talk about like the physical world still being in existence. First of all, I don't know how many tech people are still on that train of not letting their kids use it. I think the people that are like that are the people who left that world and made the social network or social dilemma. <laughs> I think a lot of the people in it are kind of like, fuck it, you know, it, it, we're part of this. But I do wonder, not just like on this example, the metaverse, but on everything. Like think about the Epstein stuff. Think about, think about anything. Like what gain do you get to be to just win everything and do it at the expense of everyone else? Like what? I, I never, and it's a stupid question to ask because there's evil people that have existed throughout time and there's people who are corrupted by power. Every single time power is presented to, to them. But like, what does, like, for the people that want to go at like Bill and Hillary right now, Let's take their side and say they're everything that people purport them to be, hypothetically. What, what are they getting out of that at this point? They've made all the money they need to make. They're getting old. You know, half the people hate them. <laughs> you know, some people still love them. And, like, they're going to die at some point. They're going to get old and they're going to get old enough that they die. Like, what are they getting out of feeling that power. Like what Bill Clinton could get any woman he wanted to. Why does he need to go on a jet with some dude and fuck a 14 year old on an, like, I don't get it. I, I don't, maybe it's cause I just would never think to think these ways. And I, I am your basic good person. Like a lot of us are. So I hope a lot of people can relate to what I'm saying right now. Like, I don't know how you even get to that point. 
I don't know how you get to a point where, like, let's assume all the people who hate Zuckerberg the most and assume he's all the worst things and like a lizard person or whatever the fuck they say. <laughs> like, take that hypothetical. What gets you to the dude? You're worth a hundred billion dollars or whatever. Do you need to like run the world where no one even exists because they're all robots and it's just you? Like, what are you going to get out of that? Is that the, like you? I think the guy loves his kids. Says he does. I believe him. What the fuck do you want your kids to do? There like, isn't. No, no. What world? Me. No, that's it. What world do you want them to live in? Yeah, that is an interesting one. And it brings up a real question. What? There is a difference. There seems to be a morale a moral difference between Elon Musk and what he strives to do and someone like Zuckerberg. Yeah. And it seems as though what e Elon Musk is inherently trying to better society. Like everything he does, he fuck it. NASA's shit. I'm going to create a better one. SpaceX. Um, Oh, you know, we need a better car. We need, we don't have an electric car. All right. Well, I'm going to create one. That's literally the greatest thing in the world. Tesla. Um, Oh, Okay. We need a. I can't remember if he created the. I think it was what he got famous off of the uh, chip. Didn't he create the chip? Um, the credit card chip. Doesn't matter. I don't know if he did. He was. He headed a company called X, and they merged with PayPal. Mm, okay. And that is that was his first big score, like big one. Even Neuralink, though, you could see in his mind how, you know affecting how it would affect um dementia and alzheimer's you know you could see the good inherent yes in his ideas i don't know if you can say the same about someone like zuckerberg i really don't i every time i've seen him speak even even in like when people that knew him that started facebook with him come out he's a dick dude and and yeah. and and he is power hungry and 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 control it, it seems as though he likes control and so there seems to be a difference between what Facebook and now Meta ha is becoming and what Tesla and SpaceX and all of Elon Musk's companies are doing. And so I want to get your take on this, something like this. Do you think that, because this is a question I, I, I think about a lot, do you think that if there was a, a war of technology that someone like Elon Musk and, and, and the good of humanity and the strive for good through technology advancements would, would overbear corruption and the power for control through technology? Or do you think that control would take over and power would take over? If there was a clash between, you know, in the future between technology for bad and technology for good, to put it plainly, do you think good would inherently win just based on strict people and, sitting down thinking, all right, what's more moral? Or do you think that evil would take over? Or do you think that they just kind of have to coexist no matter what? Well, first of all, there will always be good and evil. You are never going to have all of one. That's just not, it's not possible. It's not how things work. But, all right, this, this is pretty loaded, but I like it. So I'm an Elon fan. I have Steve Jobs and Elon right by me on that picture, right? And I'll always stay open to things. And I believe in the good that Elon is overall doing. And I appreciate him as, as a human. And, you know, he's just an interesting guy and he's brutally transparent to a fault, you know, to where it's 
kills him sometimes. I, I appreciate that. You know, he's flawed too. He's, he's just got, there's a lot about him that makes him so compelling. And when you're as out there and open as he is, God damn, is it hard to act, man? <laughs> like there are people who could do it, but you know, I don't, I don't think that's the case where I'd leave open and you could make this case about anyone ever, including you and me, if we ever got important, right? Where I would leave it open as the devil's advocate is what if Elon is just a plant from the other end, you know? So one plant could be the type of guy like an Epstein who's just an awful human being, no transparency behind closed doors, clandestine, whatever. And then the other person is all the opposite things to make you think like, oh, he's one of the good guys, but really everything's just calculated. There are people who can make that argument. I don't think that's the case at all. I, I feel very comfortable with that. But, you know, some people, cynics could say that. And I'll at least say that I can't tell them 1000% it's wrong because I don't know him and I'm not there, you know. But with him, there was actually a great example this year that is a little simulation for what's to come that should scare a lot of people. And it's something I firmly take his side on because I get it. But, and I also don't know that this was the case, but I'll explain the situation and, and why I think what happened did. But Elon came out in late January 2020 in support of, or 2021, in support of Bitcoin. You know, and he's always been skeptical about this stuff, minus, you know, meme tweeting about Doge, which he always did. He's done less of now, but he did for a long time. He's always been very skeptical about crypto. He has some interesting kind of like conflicting beliefs over time, which is another thing that I think kind of makes him somewhat honest because you see where it's like, well, he thinks that, but he also thinks that doesn't make a lot of sense. He hasn't really thought about that. It makes him human, you know, but he finally comes out and says, okay, Bitcoin, he didn't say like, it's the greatest thing ever made. He said, it's very interesting and people are into it. So we're going to start, we're, we invested in it and we're going to start accepting it as payment too at Tesla and SpaceX and, or I think just at Tesla. And so then Bitcoin continues the bull run. It was already on. And from that announcement through mid April, it mooned to what was an all time high until very recently. It, it was got up to like 60 some thousand, right? Like 62, maybe something like that. And then a tweet came out and it was from Elon. And it was a couple days after he hosted Saturday night live at the height of Dogecoin's little reign, where he made all these jokes about Dogecoin. And he sends out a tweet talking about how Bitcoin, like he said, I think he cited some data, Bitcoin, is very damaging to the environment and this kind of stuff. And we will, we have not deinvested in it, but we will no longer be being accepting Bitcoin as payment at Tesla for the time being. And of course that sent the price into a short term bear market there, right? It went down from 61 as low as 30 over the next month and a half and it recovered, but the price went down there and hypothetically good buying opportunity for people with a lot of money. Right. And so I don't want to get into the whole Bitcoin thing right now because that's a whole conversation. So for people that don't aren't really aware, I apologize, but I'm trying to make the point on Elon here. When that happened, the entire Bitcoin community, the Bitcoin maxis, I should say, that part of the community who I think are largely very toxic because they are, they're the people who 
treat Bitcoin as the be all end all for everything. And if you dare question one thing about it, they cancel you, which is literally them becoming exactly what they sought to upend with Bitcoin being created, but neither here nor there. So of course, these people who are, some of them aren't dumb, but they clearly lack all tact and common sense. Of course, they didn't stop and count to five and think about what they just read from Elon Musk about the climate effect. And instead they went full throated attack on him. And after making him a king for months, they said, he's dumb. He's the worst person in the world. Fuck him. We don't need him. All this shit, which helped send the price down. And I'm sure people knew that was going to happen if you know what I mean. But I looked at it and I said, okay, what Elon just said in this tweet, me, not a scientist, not an expert. I can go find evidence right now that says this is wrong and feel great about it. Gun to my head, life on the line, standing across from Elon Musk, feel fucking awesome about my argument and not even think about that gun. I'm like, do I think that the person who a lot of us think might be the smartest man in the world, do I think that he would knowingly like put something out voluntarily that is wrong? that could be destroyed by an asshole in New Jersey like me. No, I do not. And so what, what do I think probably happened? What I think probably happened, and I'm tying it back to your point right now, this is why I'm bringing this up, is that somebody at the government tapped him on the shoulder and said, Elon, you like those contracts, right? You like those SpaceX contracts because no one else is going to space. It's the government and you, right? Like you are subsidized by the government to do it. You like all those subsidies for Tesla. Like you're trying to be a good company and maybe make money one day with it because, you know, car companies lose money on their way to growth. You're going to tweet about Bitcoin. You're going to put out some information. I don't give a fuck how you make it look, but you're going to send this price down. And if you don't do that, we're going to pull all your contracts. We're going, to, we're going to paint you as an Epstein client. We're going to do something. And so Elon Musk, if you just thought of it that way, people would look and say, oh, he's a coward. He did it. <laughs> Here's the thing. Elon Musk sat in his dorm room in 96, and while you and I were all smoking weed and chilling, and have, well, maybe not you. I mean, you seem to be doing some things in college. But while all of us were fucking around in college, this guy was sitting around in his dorm room thinking about the five ways in which he wanted to impact humanity before his life was over. So he's sitting back there going, how do I want to impact humanity before I die? And he's like, okay, sustainability, uh, interconnectivity via the web, uh, interplanetary connectivity, artificial intelligence, and genetic coding, or whatever the fuck. And he's like, if I'm lucky, I'll get to three. Long story short, by the time he's 50 years old, he had touched all five, some extensively, but he had at least touched all five with various companies he's tied to. And that is his effect. Like when he goes on 60 Minutes and cries because the legends that he grew up, his heroes don't love him because they question how he's going to space. That's real, man. Show me Jeffrey Epstein crying on TV to paint himself as a good guy. He didn't, right? Like it's very, very hard to act with that shit. And so Elon is so focused on all this shit and getting it through because he just wants to live long enough to get us to another planet and allow the human race to live on in the best possible way and, and find that right balance with man and machines, which he's been pressing the red button on for a long time about how dangerous that can be and how this is, this is, this 
Jack is out of the box and it's already a problem. You know, he's trying to live long enough to do it. That's why he just works, works, works. That's his life. Like he, he's dedicating his life to this shit. If you're looking at him in the positive ways, which I am right. Unfortunately, he doesn't own all the money in the world. Even as the one of the richest men in the world right now, he's a bit player. You put up a group of powerful people who have the ability to take that away. He's nothing, man. And so he may talk about how he hates the government and he's, he does, he doesn't like them, but they tap him on the shoulder and they say, Elon, everything you've worked for, everything you, not just you've worked for it, that you want to do for humanity. We are going to now tell you it's gone if you don't do this. And this is my theory. I don't know this, but this is how I read it. I think Elon Musk probably made the right decision just biting the bullet to make sure that he could at least continue the projects that he knows are for the good of humanity and recognize that other things, if the government's going to take advantage, he can't do everything about everything. And so if they're going to fucking buy up Bitcoin or have some sinister way to destroy it or get in, get in front of crypto and they use him as a vessel because they're going to take away his ability to do anything if they don't, he's like, well, we're going to lose there for humanity, but I don't want to lose everything because if it's not me, they're going to find another way to do it. I get that. I don't mean to jump um, to a whole different topic, but we're getting late in this episode, and I really want—I really wanted to ask you this like early on, and I just totally forgot. But when I was listening to one of your episodes, it was right after you had COVID. It might have been your solo one. It might have been a different. Might have been the last one. You talked about something that I have been really diving into, which is the—you didn't talk about this, but you are one of the only people I know who got to try or got to use monoclonal antibodies. You know, you were sick and you used it. And I wanted you to explain your, um, if you know anything about the suppression of that and your experiences with monoclonal antibodies. Yeah. Yeah. It did help. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this. So, and I always like to be on the up and up about everything. I think we mentioned this, but I'm, I'm a fully vaccinated person. I, as I said before, I don't have a hesitation around that. I have a problem with how they sold it as being like a hundred percent. It wasn't, but it, the data does still suggest that Omicron aside, which is kind of like a cold, mm-hmm. you know, it's different than the other strands. Yes. It is much more helpful in protection to be vaccinated. That said, you can still get it. And yeah, you can still die, right? Like if, I don't know, if you're overweight or something, right? So it's not a guarantee or anything like that. And so in my opinion, we should be doing everything we can without any politics, which is never the case, to to help prevent anything. I don't care if it's COVID or cancer. (laughs) If you have shit that can treat it, you use it, right? I don't care what it is. And so if we hadn't politicized this whole thing, maybe people would just have the vaccine and not think it's killing them or anything or destroying their sperm count or whatever all this stuff is. And then also have the knowledge that they could still get COVID. And when they get COVID, have hospitals be set up to give anyone like fucking jelly beans at, 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 a, at a coffee table, monoclonal antibodies. So I got COVID. I went up to New York City and came back with COVID. And I, you know, it wasn't great. It was, it was every bit as bad as the worst of the flu I've had. 
and it's a different kind and you're sitting there and, and I'm also, I have severe asthma, especially right now because I, I live with a dog and I'm severely allergic to dogs. So I'm, I'm a little more at risk than I should be, even though I'm in shape. And so, you know, I was banged up, but I never was like, oh, I'm going to die or whatever. But I had to call one of my doctors because I was in his office on the morning of when I later felt the symptoms that afternoon, unknowingly, obviously. So I had to be like, hey, sorry, I had COVID, it turns out. Um, and so I was on the phone with him and he was asking me like what I was feeling and all that. And I said, yeah, is there anything I could do? He said, well, you could get monoclonal antibodies. This guy's a big time doctor too. Like he's, he's somebody who's friends with my grandpa. So he's like, he's, uh, I only got to him because my grandpa's friends with him, put it that way. Like he'd never seen me, but I was like, fuck yeah. You know? And, and by the way, this is part of the argument I make against the anti-vaccine people just like as on the surface, not that it's efficacy and all that. I, I, I understand where they're coming from, but when they're, when they're like, this thing's going to kill me, I'm like, well, how many times have you been to an emergency room and you're in pain? You say, give me something and they give it to you. Like, do you question it before they give it to you? No, you fucking stick it in. It, it could be made by, you know, the, the devil himself. It, they're sticking it in your veins. Not to say that makes everything right, but it's another argument there. Because that's the same way I was with the monoclonal antibodies. I said to the doc, I'm like, oh, is this that shit Rogan took or whatever? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, what do you think? He's like, fuck yeah, do it. I was like, okay. So I went and got it. And I got it on a Friday at four o'clock. And they said, you need to give it at least 12 hours, but close to 18 to 24. You'll feel an effect. I'm telling you 18 hours later, like a light gone 20 hours later. It's like after, like after noon on Saturday, gone. No, I, I wanted to work out then that I was like, wow. And I didn't have any expectations. I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm not going to die, but you know, like, yeah, I guess I'll go do these things. But the way that I did it, I did it at a major hospital in Philadelphia, Jefferson. And it was so sketchy, man. Like I get there, they come out to pick you up. That part, I guess I get, cause like you have COVID, you're wearing a mask, they're trying to like keep it low key. They like, they made it as sketchy as it could possibly be. They walked me through like a dungeon. It was like a construction area, <laughs> like inside, like through all these places, which that may have just been a coincidence. I'll give them that. But then I go to these elevators and I go up to what I believe is normally a cancer ward. It's normally like it's got the stations like when they do chemo. And I walk in there with another patient who I don't know. And then the nurse comes in and she starts going and I don't care about this shit, but other people do. She starts going through our medical histories with us, like both right there, like, like the whole thing. And I'm like, God damn, if I were like a dick, I'd sue the fuck out of this place, right? Like, it's just weird. Like, this would never happen. It was like this whole, like, quiet thing. They gave you a little sheet and you left through the dungeon. And I get other buddies who don't have a high-placed doctor like that who get COVID and they're banged up. And they're like, well, how do I ask the doctor about it? I'm like, don't ask your doctor. Give him a directive. I want my script for monoclonal antibodies. I need to take it by this afternoon. I'm like, it's sick that I have to like tell them, give your doctor a directive. 
but there are a lot of doctors out there who are probably many of them great doctors who for whatever reason it's been propagated to many of them they're like oh no this shit we don't want to we want to press that which mean which tells me tinfoil hat on who's it that made monica i don't even remember who fucking what company made it like regeneron or something someone made it some fucking pharma company made it another pharma company right whoever they are didn't know enough people and didn't pay off enough people to to compete with whatever you know the guys who were getting to the vaccine could do to to have that be pushed as the main thing to do right but I'm not saying I'm not a doctor. I don't know if it works on everyone. I don't know if I'm full of shit. All I can tell you is what I felt. I didn't think anything of it going in. I didn't, it was a fucking Friday. I was sick. I'm going to get the shit. I left, right? Like there was no like, oh my God, what am I going to do right now? I got it. And the next day I was all better and I was not good on Friday. So it is what it is. But yeah, in my opinion, if it can work, Every fucking person who contracts COVID should have access to go get that immediately. All right. Julian Dory, you're the fucking shit. You're a beast, bro. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, bro. This was fun. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you doing it today once again. Thank you very much. Anytime, man. And, and again, like in the future, Whenever I get situated in one area, and if you're visiting in that area, I would love to do this in person because then we can get shit faced. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. We'll do it. Yeah. We'll do it. But thank you for having me. This this was great. And I, I like what you're doing too. Your podcast. I hadn't been familiar with your podcast before you reached out, but I had to, I had a chance to listen to a couple episodes and they're, it's really good, man. I like what you're doing. Thanks, man. Episode 84 with Julian Dory. What an awesome dude. He stayed after to talk to me about things I can improve on, um, things I'm doing well. Uh, if you guys want to find him, it's Julian Dory on Instagram. And if you guys want to find his uh, podcast, it's Trend of Fire with Julian Dory on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. Stay tuned. Happy New Year. And as always, stay demanding. <laughs> <laughs>